Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. If you want to go further and add some fun and versatility into your hunting program, check out Can-Am's Defender. Pretty soon I'm headed to my buddy Doug's, and we're going to be running around in Doug's Can-Am because it's like, it's fun. You can get around quietly, easily, all over his property. It's just versatile. Oh, I love it. To find your next Can-Am or to shop online and get serious about backcountry travel, Visit canamoffroad.com. Turn something that you kind of dread driving around into something you love. Visit canamoffroad.com. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play store. Know where you stand with OnX. Spencer, guy wanted to know... Um, if you can get the rut rolling early by putting out corn mixed with Viagra. <laughs> um, I would say no. You don't think that's going to work? No. There have been a lot of studies done on, like, what drives the rut. Is it the moon? It's not Is the it ability to get. Cold weather? Is it uh, barometric pressure? Is it hunting pressure? Things like that. And it always comes back to the only thing that like really determines when the rut in rut is in your area is day length. Does uh does I don't know does is does Viagra that doesn't serve the purpose of increasing one's desire. I'm the youngest one in this room, so why would you ask me? Because I thought maybe you, I don't know like <laughs> yeah, you talk to I, like I don't know, but my understanding of it. I don't know that it increases one's... It's not like an aphrodisiac. Now, no. if you put an aphrodisiac out mixed with some corn... Yeah, that would definitely work. But all you're really doing is like, you're assuming he has a dysfunction, right. the and, deer. And the I, buck has a dysfunction. No, you're not assuming that. You're just assuming that if you gave him a eight-hour erection, that all of a sudden it would start the rut. For well, erections that last over eight hours, please consult your physician. <laughs> and yeah, you better call a to, large he'd animal. He consult vet. a veterinarian. Please consult your veterinarian. <laughs> the rut isn't really determined anyway by a buck's willingness. That's right. It's the doe's willingness, and so that's why. It's a good point. You get like the secondary rut one month after the first rut, which is usually like November 10th, for example, is kind of a baseline date. In the Midwest, you get the secondary rut 
one month later because those does cycle back in that were not bred the first time or they are dill fawns that didn't come in to estrus one month prior. When that secondary rut happens, you get that increased buck activity again because there are some willing does in the woods. So you're saying the vagrid word? For a doe, maybe. <laughs> get their but cycle I, I have a follow-up question on, mm-hmm. on, you explained what triggers it very well. Length of day. Yes. But, so do cloudy days make like less light come through, making it shorter, shorter, shorter no. days? So if you had more cloudy days, no. like up uh, to November 10th, would it start earlier? Maybe if there was like a volcano that filled the atmosphere that blocked the sun out. Yes. Maybe then. then. But otherwise, no. Okay. Uh, Danielle, remember we talked about hush puppies for a long time? <laughs> A guy wrote in about why he thinks they're called hush puppies. Okay. And where they came from. He says it was a relatively common food among slaves in the South. And the name itself came from using these delicious nuggets, his words, to distract guard dogs when trying to escape. Hmm. Oh. Which I like. I don't know if it's true, but I like it. Hush, yeah, I'm- hush puppy. I had the best hush puppies in Tennessee. This Is there a good hush puppy? Yeah, I didn't think so, to be totally what? honest with you. Yeah, I'm not a hush puppy fan, but this guy was putting green chilies oh, in yeah. the hush puppy, and they were very good. Yeah, but dude, you just like any with green chilies. In it. I do, I do. That's true. Some hatch chili. <laughs> Couple yeah. quick things. Uh, other quick things. So we talked about this guy. What state was it the guy was saying that if you, that like, some hunters had expressed saying that you don't want to shoot a collared deer because it might have a micro tag in it. And if you ate the micro tag, that the government then's going to track you. I forget. Which it's like state Big Brother, does. like Big Brother paranoia. Yeah. Okay, a couple biologists wrote in um, <laughs> <laughs> about this. I appreciate them taking their time to do that. Uh, he was saying that. Um, Just bear with me a minute. How would you accidentally Kay. eat it? How big are the... They're small. We, I, I'll get so into So small that it could go through a grinder even, and you would still ingest it. Well, no, because the guy that rode in was oh. saying that people told him, if you do shoot a collared deer, you have to grind it all into burger in order to destroy the chip to prevent oh, the government right. from tracking that's it. That's right. This guy uh, goes on to say that he had an interesting couple points about it. He was working on a master's research project on survival of adult gobblers in the Black Hills of South Dakota. You'll appreciate this, Spencer. So adult gobblers in the Black Hills, they radio collared, not tagged, but like literally put a collar on 75 gobblers. Um, Unsurprisingly, hunting mortality was far and away the highest source of mortality. That's what kills them. Uh, but they also had in the Black Hills, they had gobblers getting killed by lion, mountain lions, bobcats, great horned owls. Um, goes on to say, whenever I couldn't locate a radio collar and it wasn't reported, he would just go and drive around Custer and Hot Springs, South Dakota and scan the city with the radio receiver. Do you guys watch, have you guys watched the, uh, re- watched or read no Country for Old Men? Yeah. Yes. 
when the guy just drives around trying to find the money with the transponder in it. So this guy drives around, yeah, trying to find the suitcase with the transponder in it. This guy drives around like that. He twice has regained his signal outside of hotels, outside of motels, entered the motel with his receiver and knocked on the actual door where the guy was in there with his turkey collar. And he then asked them, do you have something that doesn't belong to you? (laughs) Wow. Because I'm guessing it says on the radio caller, if you were to find this, yeah, please call this call. number. Yeah. And when people did, he also one time found one of his still out in the woods in the back of a truck. Um, and then Carmen Van Bianchi wrote in about the tags themselves. You you know how much you know how much I like Giannis. I do. If someone, uh, I like Carmen more than Giannis. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite people if you threw a like a grizzly bear at Carmen I would shove Giannis in the way of the bear uh, <laughs> what these things are called what this guy is referring to about eating the deer and still having it in there is a passive integrated transponder or pit tag they're not really trackable oh another guy was saying just not, just for funsies I'll tell you what he said in a minute. Another biologist wrote in. Carmen's talking about pit tags. The, the government can't track you with a pit tag. Yeah, you, you, When you have a pit tag in, you pretty much have to go past a reader to do any good for anybody. So you can put like pit tags in fish, and then you put the scanners near the river, and you can scan fish coming by and tell when it picks them up. But it, the, the, it has to pass by this thing. She's even in rivers where they had a lot of scanners because they're doing studies on fish and the scanners are already in place. She's gone and pit tagged beavers so you could track beaver movement since the scanners were already in place. That's cool. Um, Goes on to also back me up on this. She says, so basically, unless the government has hidden pit tag readers all around us, if you ate a pit tag, you'd have to get very close to a fish reader somewhere. Probably have to rub your stomach on it for it to pick up the number. They would know that a pit tag has passed, but that's the only thing that they would know. The collars are what's actually trackable. Um, And she says, she backs me up, and I completely agree with your reluctance. I'm quoting Carmen. I completely agree with your reluctance to shoot an animal that has a collar on it. They're totally tainted. This is coming from someone who places collars on animals. This is shocking. They're totally tainted and less wild. And someone else has already gotten the best of that animal. I'm even a little disappointed when I work and recapture an animal that someone else has already tagged. It's less exciting than catching a fresh one. Even seeing a wild animal with a collar on it is less cool than seeing one without. Yeah, now I want to know. I want to know how because we have some <laughs> folks here that haven't weighed in their opinion on that. I'd like to hear from them. Oh, do you think it'd be cool to get a to shoot a deer wearing a collar? I uh, had an instance where seeing deer with collars was mm. really really cool. And I told you about that, didn't I? I was getting my butt kicked hunting mule deer, and I called up a biologist buddy of mine. Not just to kind of get an understanding of what the heck's going on, not be told where deer are at. 
Um, and it was just this Why? odd <laughs> But this buddy of mine Why? Uh, is like, hey, yeah, you know, 99% of our collar deer have been on winter range for two weeks already. Dude, you can't be getting that kind of information, man. And he said, we have, there's only three collared deer left that haven't shown up. The very next day, end of the season, last day of the season, there again are no deer to be found. All of a sudden, I look over, here's this doe with a white collar. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And then two more does show up with white collars. Huh. But it was just like very odd, but super fun. We were talking to someone one time. I think this is what started this whole conversation long, long ago, is we were talking to a biologist up in Fairbanks, and she was saying, I have collars on legal bulls right now that are hanging around Fairbanks. And I remember thinking, wouldn't it be nice to know how, how to find yeah. those things? Yep. Or not. Oh, anyway. yeah. That was my friend Casey. Yeah. Depending what kind of fellow so, you are. So, Danielle, what do you mm. think? Do you see an animal with a collar? Are you going to pass? Uh, I don't know. The only thing, I've never seen a deer or a turkey with a collar. I just think about waterfowl and banded birds. And people go They go crazy. crazy. Yes. And for banded we got a banded goose, and I thought it was super cool. Until I, oh, we called it in and realized it was just like a one-year-old local bird. <laughs> and I was like, man, I would have preferred not knowing he wasn't. Uh, yeah, so when you <laughs> when you got the information back, you're like, oh, this is like our next-door neighbor, not some yeah, awesome migrator. Yeah, that, that, we were definitely expecting a 20-year-old. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, our buddy Ronnie yeah, Bame, he shot down. one one time and turned into, he shot a bird with an ankle bracelet and turned it and it, he said it had been banded about 100 yards away. <laughs> <laughs> on, on the pit tag subject, I used to work for a fish hatchery that primarily dealt with endangered species like uh, pallid sturgeon uh, and paddlefish. I guess paddlefish aren't endangered, threatened in some areas. But anyway, we would pit tag these fish. On a paddlefish, for example, it'd be on the third scoot from the back. And then to read this What's with a the, scoot? Scoot's one of their bony armored plates. Yeah, if you handle these things, like a wild surgeon will have super sharp scoots. It's like those lines that go from their head back to their tail. You'd know so that armor. if you were listening to Cal's mm-hmm. Week in Review. I already you covered go. that on us. He might, mm-hmm. maybe he listened, but he doesn't have good retention. Yeah, maybe. In anyway, listen, these, you these... try to retain anything when you got my two in the house with you trying to listen to Cal's <laughs> weekend review. These pit tags can be coded. There's like 35 billion combinations because it's a super long series of letters and numbers. But to read these things, the wand that reads them has to be like pressed against the skin of the sturgeon where that pit tag is at. Oh. You have to be like So the government against, needs to pin you down. Yes. Like I, I could not walk into the building that has these tanks with tagged surgeon and just wave it and then read a certain surgeon. You basically have to be pressed against this pit tag reader. Wow. So if, if some if a black helicopter if you're hunting in Kentucky and you get a deer wearing a radio collar and you eat that deer anyway and don't grind it, eat it whole muscle. Mm-hmm. And later, a black helicopter lands by you, and some men jump out and tackle you and hold you down and wave that thing all over your body. 
At that point, you will know that you're being tracked by the government. Yes. And and even with, like, the pit tags we use specifically, it does not give away location. You know what's in front of you because you're holding this wand against it. But if, if I pit tagged you, Steve, and we were in the mediator office, I wouldn't be able to track your location even within this building. Got it. And if you're wearing, like, a helmet made out of sturgeon scoots. <laughs> you're even more protected. You're even more protected. <laughs> Another guy, this guy's a veterinarian. He places pit tags on animals. Uh, what's he got to say about it? it says very few, uh, my, even microchips. Okay, so he's placed microchips, not pit tags. My very first point is that microchips generally do not have GPS capabilities due to size and battery limitations. They're only meant to store information that can be read by a scanner. Um, they place them subcutaneously on animals, mammals. He puts them between the skin and the muscle. If you're in Kentucky hunting and you get a deer and it's got a radio collar, um, when you strip the hide, that thing's going to come off with the hide. Plus, this guy, just for gets and shiggles, ate one. And he thought it was fun to use the scanner to watch it move through his GI tract. <laughs> and then he shat it out in 36 hours. What do you think of that? I like the dedication. That's veterinarian. <laughs> yeah. Right from a straight up veterinarian. Um, uh, quick thing on Latvia. Giannis, did you know that a, a mutual friend of me and Giannis, a Sika deer hunter, sent in a thing that he was pa- having to find himself passing by the Latvian embassy mm. in our nation's capital. And the Latvian embassy had a sign out. Um bragging up how Latvia is one of the most introverted nations in the world. It's an odd thing to be bragging about this day and age. Yeah. And it was um, that they let their literature speak for itself. Hmm. So I would say Yanni is an outlier as a fairly extroverted person. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me think of the, the fact that Latvians let the literature speak for itself. How many of you guys have seen Jim, Jar- Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man? Not a... Really? God, Jim Jarmusch. I would do anything to be in your shoes and have not seen Dead Man so that I could go watch it and have the pleasure of seeing it for the first time again. Oh, I'm going to add it yeah. to my movies list right now. It's the greatest premise of any movie ever made on Earth. Uh, are you familiar with the poet William Blake? Yes. Okay. Bear with me a minute. There's a real life poet named William Blake. Famous poet. Now, in the movie, there's just a dude from Ohio named William Blake. Okay. He gets a job offering out West in the 1800s and travels out West and gets quickly gets in a gunfight and gets shot. Wanders off in the desert with what looks like it should be a mortal wound, but it doesn't kill him. He, uh, an Indian happens upon him. It just so happens that this Indian had been captured at one point in time and sent to Europe where he was taught poetry and was part of a trap. You know, they used to like display Native Americans. They used to take Native Americans in the 1700s, 1800s. They'd like take them to Europe and display them like circus displays. 
the Indian played by Gary Farmer had his character when he was young had been kidnapped and brought back to Europe. And as part of this traveling road show, he would recite poetry. And they taught him to recite the poetry of William Blake. He finds a man dying in the desert who just so happens to be William Blake. But this William Blake from Ohio has no idea about the English poet William Blake. But the Indian is like, I have found William Blake. Um, William Blake is dead. I need to return him to where he's supposed to be. He needs to go back to the spirit world because I have now recovered out in the desert, William Blake. And the William Blake has no idea what he's talking about. But at one point, William Blake, the guy, the kid from Ohio, shoots someone. And the Indian says, from now on, all of your poetry will be written in blood. And I thought of that. And I thought of Giannis as a Latvian. Deep, yeah. deep, M- many it's a layers. Good ass movie, man. Uh, it's just Dead Man. Dead Man. Dead Man. Great movie. I'm on it. And if you don't like watching movies because the gunshots are too loud, all the gunshots are super quiet, which is very funny. <laughs> they all go. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good movie. Uh, dude wrote in if you date a lot. Yeah, married. Wild Phil's married. Yeah, Everybody's married. married. Cal's married. not. Cal, if you date a lot. What's a he lot? He always takes, a guy wrote in, he always takes his dates fishing. Because that way they got to buy a fishing license. And he feels like he's supporting his state fishing game agency by making so many people buy a fishing license. Oh. Then he says, if they don't like that date, that's dating catch and release. <laughs> uh... I like how he's like ensuring something good will come out of this date. Mm-hmm. So whether or not ad- he likes the person or not. It's a good attitude. True conservationist there. Yep, exactly. Uh, quick one. Guy was using Giannis's marriage advice tip. What do you call that tip? You got to think of a name for it because yeah. it'll be easier. Well, it's not mine. I stole it from the uh, great uh, Wayne Dyer. But... Uh, Who's that? Like oh, a, I know who he is. Yeah, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Mm-hmm. How would you describe He's him? a self-help person? Yeah. Is he like Dr. Phil? No. I don't know about Dr. Phil. Is he like Dr. Oz? No. No. No, he's up there So he doesn't think that Eckert like Tully. prunes will cure cancer? Danielle is going to describe him for you. He's up there with who? I don't want to say he's new age, but... Or spiritual, necessarily. Uh, so he's not new age. He's not spiritual. Um, he believes in all that stuff you hear me yeah. spouting off about. Positivity, <laughs> grace, you know. Yeah, are you, you know what we're talking about, Daniel? Can you explain Yanni's marriage saving advice? We've explained it so many I times. I know what... No, I don't. Maybe I have No, this is it. where if you're having like a tiff or an argument, any oh, love... any put le- it on a scale? That's yeah. right. Oh, I thought that was a really good tip. It's a great tip, I but it almost it got this guy divorced. Uh-oh. Oh, uh-oh. Someone explain the tip. I can't he, explain he, anymore. He, I explained he, he might times. have deeper, uh, deeper no, problems. He had there. a miscommunication. Ah, uh, okay. Well, how it works is if you have an issue, you just, and, and you feel like it's kind of, it's probably, well, you can't call it petty, but for whatever reason, you're like, you know what? This, we're not going to resolve this. Let's just throw it on the scale 
and everybody throws a number between one and ten, and whoever has the highest number gets to be the sort of winner of that discussion. And you can no, you miss you, you, you make you, the decision and you, you go missed, on. You miss the whole main part of your thing. What do you mean? You forgot to mention that you're you're throwing a number about how much it matters to you. Yeah, you didn't say that. Sorry. Well, I was going to follow up with that. You have to be careful. Are you tracking you, this, you Phil? Phil's always... getting a far away ass. That was a far away look in your eye, Phil. You can't always throw tens because, you know, then it's like the boy who cried wolf, right? So you got to pick and choose what's important to you. Yeah, it's like how much it matters to you. Yeah. But didn't you also say one time that there's like, it's a fallacy to throw a low number because you don't want the other person to be like, why don't you care about this? Like I do. Someone else said that. Mm. Yeah, we get a lot of reader response, listener response about this. I'll take a shot at it real quick. It's a system that Yanni came up with. <laughs> no. By which, if there's an argument, let, let's say you're, let's say me and Yanni are arguing about. Um, uh, uh, Danielle said she used this, so she could just I, give the example. I do have an example. Oh. I mean, I don't actually remember what we were arguing about, mm. though. Make something up. Um. Okay, let's say, let's say, uh, let's say you're getting a new countertop. Oh God! <laughs> no, let's just, let's just say, <laughs> let's say you get a new countertop, and they're gonna put in one of those things that automatically dispenses one of those little things where you put your dish soap in there, and it's kind of built into the countertop. It's like a little spigot coming out of the countertop that are always worthless. And from what yeah, I've seen. let's just say you, oh yeah, let's put it this way. Let's say you're debating about whether or not you have one. Okay. And you don't want one, and your husband does. Uh, and you can't. And you, and you can't decide. Then you wind up doing. You say this. You say, on a one to ten, how much do you really, honestly care about this subject? Right. And if you're like, um, your husband's like, it, I've always dreamed of having one of these. These are really great. Um, I hate having the bottle of palm olive sitting you know, on the counter. My mom used to wash my mouth out with palm olive, and every time I look, I think of that, and it makes me have animosity toward my mother, and that that reflects even into animosity for my own children, right? And and the wife, uh, you you're just like I, you know, I just think they're kind of stupid. So you give it a one, your husband gives it a ten, he wins, he gets the stupid pump. This guy proposed this to his wife, and then they're having an argument, and he throws a one, and she throws a ten, and she gets super mad at him, and then he realizes that she, he explained in a way where she thought he was giving, on a sliding scale of one to ten, how much do you value our relationship? Oh. Oy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and without even thinking, he's like, one. That's rough. Uh, that's good for now. <laughs> I wonder if there's like that's a good little, for now. I want to. Oh, go ahead. No, if, no. Um, maybe that was the conclusion she wanted to come to. No, right? she got real mad at him. Oh, right. Oh, like, because then you could get your divorce and have it be that it wasn't even your fault, which is what I imagine a lot of people want. I yeah, <laughs> yep. You'd be like, well, I was a truthful spouse, but he betrayed himself, and now I'm dating this new guy. And here we here we are. Um, Spencer, can you tell us about the daddy long leg deal? 
Yes. So at TheMeatEater.com, we have a new series called Fact Checker, where we sort of investigate the suspect yarns that, that we've outdoorsmen all, tend to have. We've all been raised with. Yes. It's some examples like, should you drink urine in a survival situation? Can you eat tell, rabbits? Tell them about that. Uh, should you drink urine in a survival situation? The answer is no. That's uh, So Bear Grill, Grills, his entire career has been for <laughs> naught. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like it's something that's often picked up on when a, a news entity writes about some survival situation. For example, the guy that cut his own arm off in the mountaineering accident. It was a mountaineering accident. What, what was it? Can, uh, canyoneering. Canyoneering. Aaron Ralston? Yes. Sure. Great recollection. Sure. You'd think that a guy that could remember that mm-hmm. would be able to remember what he forgot. <laughs> so, so when they wrote about that guy's, uh, you know, events that led up to that they talked about how he drank his own urine to survive and there's other examples where somebody was uh trapped in rubble after a building collapse and they drank their own urine to survive so stuff like that so it's often told but you shouldn't actually do it it'll dehydrate you like salt water would you are putting these toxins back in your body that your body just sent away there's a lot of reasons why it's a bad idea. But you probably get driven crazy by thirst and then just drink it. The same way sometimes people get driven crazy by thirst and drink salt water. Sure. Yeah. So if it gives you, I guess, a peace of mind, but overall it's a bad idea. And it's also not a cure-all for like these uh, Eastern medicine claims that you should put on a jellyfish sting. You can put it on a sunburn. It will get rid of warts. It's uh, good for your skin if you drink it. Yeah, my buddy fell on an urchin one time we were fishing. Uh, and he pissed on it. All of that's wrong. You shouldn't do it. He was married to a doctor. <laughs> she well, wasn't send, there. Send, he hadn't even met her yet, I don't <laughs> think. But, uh, yeah, so never mind that detail. Send her to TheMeatEater.com then. So that that's the kind of is there, thing. But hold on, is there anything good that urine can be used for? It's waste. You can snow. write your name in the snow. Sure. <laughs> sure. That's the I, kind write, of I write Yanni's name in the snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, <laughs> peed on our smoldering campfire. Hey, there's there just a couple go. embers left, and figured that was putting it to good use. Mm-hmm. So, um, another one we recently wrote about was were whales stocked in the Great Salt Lake? Oh, can I can we turn to the to the? Did someone just mention vomiting, or was I going to mention vomiting? Oh, I was telling no. the whole office about how you vomited so much while we were spearfishing, and you had somehow. <laughs> Twice. Left that out. No, I've told when a lot of people about that, and I'm going to tell everybody about it right now. Oh, okay. you said That's you had why I was, hoping, I was hoping to have a good... No, that was different. I had a lot of problems. Oh. Um, but we never got the Daddy Long Legs thing. Are we're you getting there, but I'm segueing. I'm pivoting off. I'm trying to segue off. He, okay, check this out. Spencer said how about drinking piss doesn't do you any good, actually. And I said about how sometimes people will become thirst crazed if they're stranded out in the ocean and they'll try to drink salt water. Mm-hmm. So I was going to segue off my own interruption to point this out. Spearfishing. Um, you know, are you familiar with uh, snorkels that have the check valve in them? No. Not a waterman? Not that kind of waterman. Okay, some snorkels have a check valve in them. Uh, is anybody familiar with these? You go into water and there's a sliding ball. It's buoyant 
and the ball comes up and blocks so you can go underwater and your snorkel doesn't fill. Or even splashes coming over, your snorkel won't fill full of water. I've been using those a long time. Now that I'm uh, officially dabbling in the spearfishing world, uh, I've been told that those are naughty because they bubble too much. And people don't like bubbles when they're underwater. Fish don't like bubbles. They don't want you bubbling. And so these guys use these uh, pretty wide gauge so you can breathe through them very heavily. Short, low-profile, wide-gauge snorkels that they clip to the back of their mast strap. So that when you go into water, you spit the snorkel out. The snorkel's not up in your business. It doesn't obstruct your vision. It's just hooked to the back of your head, out of the way, and it's small profile, so there's not a lot of drag. I'm used to a more, a more robust, um, check-valved, longer, side-mounted snorkel. And switching to this new snorkel system allowed me to breathe in. It allowed me, made me drink a lot of salt water. And at one point, out in the water, I had to full-on, I twice, like a two-pack spread apart, um, full-on vomited into my own area, right? I kind of brushed it away. I sort of splashed all my vomit away. So you were, you were out on the surface when you had this I was, gagging yeah. You really want to know what was going on. Situation. We were hunting in a kelp forest, and you come up in that freaking kelp, man, and you have to, like, dig your way. You had to, like, create a hole to get your head up to get a breath. A little panicky? No, just you get up, and the, and the kelp is so heavy that it would lay the snorkel down, and you'd, you'd be up. You'd be like, oh, I'm fine, and you'd take a big, you'd be, like, out of breath, you know, whatever, and you'd take a big ripper. And it would, the, the snorkel would be cockeyed, whatever, because the, the yeah. kelp. So I, one day I went out and drank so much salt water that I had to eject it all. Yeah. Um, Giannis, did you get panicky up on, on the surface? Like it's, it's. No one was panicky. Well, no, I definitely felt the anxiety of, of being around and in the kelp. It gets yeah. thick. I had a good, I don't know if they ever gave you this tip though, about swimming through it on the surface and how to use your gun yeah, like point it, put it up above your head, and it sort of splits the kelp, and you you can move through it yeah. a little easier. I bet you developed a system I'm pretty happy with for getting through the kelp. Is but that no, so it can definitely feel like it's sort of a bunch of hands and arms grabbing onto you, and and you guys were it's spooky. You were spitting out your snorkel before you dive, right? Yes, pulling it out. Yeah, is it so dense that you could like lose the sense of what's up and what's down? No. No, it grows vertically. No, but you when you were down, you could look up and see holes and then adjust your rise to hit little holes or you might have a better luck busting through to get a breath. And it's always way worse at the surface than it is underneath. You could travel quite freely underneath because all the leaves are laying on the surface. It's just the stalks are underwater. So you could kind of snake around in there a little bit. But then when you wanted to come up, it was hard, and it was causing me to drink a lot of that damn salt water. And this happens to me all the time. Last time I was in Baja spearfishing, I had to climb up on the beach and vomit. My body doesn't like My body's anti-salt water. I was impressed, though, with the way you got back in the game, because I was already in the boat. Steve got to the boat, told us about vomiting, and flopped into the boat. Mm-hmm. Literally to the right to the floor, and had like, a ninety-minute timeout. Were, people were talking to Steve, and he was not responding. He was fine, but he's like he was, was not a, he was not in a talkative mood, you know, which for Steve's not very often, you know. And 
He's like on the ground, and about 45 minutes later, he was back in the water, charging. Wow. Dude, yeah, I'm hardcore, man. <laughs> oh, not about that. Just going belly up for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, backfired. That's tough. Uh, anyhow, so there you are. Dang, dog daddy long legs. Yeah. So, um, oh, no. Whales. You're going to tell us about whales next. Well, I was just giving you some examples of the kind of uh, – yarns that we look at or long-held assumptions can i tell you uh i never heard that there were whales in great salt lake i hadn't either but i was in salt lake city a few weeks ago and the uber driver was telling me that <laughs> and so I'm like, you oh. actually pull a lot of good info off uber drivers yeah, so right? then I, I google this and this has been oft repeated on forums and blogs specifically even uh the university of utah biology department has like a short blog section talking about when this happened that these whales were stocked there but it never did happen. Why does the university say it did? It's a joke? No. They're just misinformed. Hold on. The university the is university misinformed? The University of Utah. Is their, misinformed about their, a whale introduction. On their biology department uh, website, they have a short thing talking about when this happened back in the 1800s. No. Yes. What? I'll, I'll pull it up. Uh, Hold right on. The, U, the, the actual university... Is wrong about whether or not whales were let so loose I, in I, Great Salt Lake. I think it is something that's just been overlooked. Like whoever is auditing what goes up on these websites happened to miss that, you know, within the biology department, there's this quick blog post that who knows, some grad student probably contributed talking about when this happened. Man, if I was going to send my kid to that school <laughs> and then I was thumbing through the website, encountered a, a thing that they had let whales loose in Great Salt Lake and then learned that that wasn't true, I would withdraw my child's application. Dude, I got to tell you, uh, doing a lot of research on biology-based topics, it, this is not limited to the University of Utah. You come across some uh, grad papers that you, you're like, uh, that that's just not right. Like, there's, they're not all gems out there. This is on utah.edu's website, and it is under the Rose Lab uh, Department of Biology from the University of Utah, and it tells the whole story about how the Great Salt Lake, which is 75 miles long, 35 miles wide, covers more than a million acres. And then it goes on to tell you the story of how this eccentric biologist back in the 1800s stocked these whales there. What kind of whales? So to run this like down to figure out what the origin of this was. It actually went back to an article in a now defunct newspaper in Utah that used like some very heavy handed hints that they were writing something that was sarcasm and not to be believed. But the story goes that back in 1875, this eccentric biologist had a theory that in the Great Salt Lake, whales could survive. And so he went on a two-year mission south of Australia to hunt and catch whales to then bring there. And they decided to do that because they weren't able to acquire any whale eggs. So there's an example of where this article... Oh, why? Was, it was like an Onion article. <laughs> yes, but it was from a newspaper. Like you, you see, there's yeah. an old-timey newspaper clipping talking about this. Um, I forget what your original question was. Oh, what kind no, of whales? Right were, what kind of whales? They oh, were. yeah. 
There's no details given besides that these two whales were caught off the southern coast of Australia. They were then taken to Towed San, back home to San Francisco. There's no details on how they got them there. Uh, and then from San Francisco, they jumped on a rail line for these specially designed uh, tra- trains, shipped to Salt Lake City, and then carried a half mile from the tracks to the to the lake and placed in there. And they had these holding pens set up with like long mesh nets so that the whales could stay near the mouth of the Bear River and be observed. But within minutes of these things being released, they busted out of the mesh. And after that, they were spotted a few times over the next couple of years, but then whalers came in like five <laughs> years after they were released. Another like heavy-handed thing talking about why this isn't true. And they killed off the two whales there. But to this day, there are still reports of whale sightings in the Great Salt Lake. You don't say. Yes. You know, there's a, when I was researching my, oh, this, you want to see a segue. We, we're not, we haven't even approached what we're supposed to talk about. And we haven't even gotten to the daddy long legs yet. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was researching my Buffalo book and watched, I, I got an announcement to make about that. When I was researching my Buffalo book all these, you know, a decade ago, um, everyone knows the story that like, that like share, like there's a general, like Sheridan. In the in the sort of the, the the lore of 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 Buffalo, okay, there's this thing that that uh the, that the U.S. military had this stated goal, this stated thing that let's get rid of the Plains tribes. The key to getting rid of the Plains tribes is just to kill all the buffalo. Then they'll have nothing to eat. And people thought that there's this myth that that was like the stated, that, that was a stated goal and not a, just a, 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 a very real consequence. It was a very real consequence, but that it was like the U S policy was to do this. And it came from the fact that, uh, general Sheridan, I believe it was, had supposedly said this in front of the Texas state assembly. And it's in every history, every old history book likes to mention this thing. Well, um, a student of Dan Flores, who we've had on the podcast, one time went to like write about this, and in his research, found out that not only is there really no evidence of him saying this, he never spoke to the Texas State Assembly. But there it is. It just is this thing that gets perpetuated and perpetuated and perpetuated, and then you look, it's like it's just someone screwed up, yeah. or whatever. The segue being. When you, um, a little bit about book business, when you sell a book to a publisher, like my, my book, American Buffalo in search of a lost icon was published by random house and random house owns everything about, they own the world rights of the book and they can sell audio rights. So they sold the audio rights to another audio book company when it came out. And this audio book company hired, I don't want to disparage the guy. I'm sure he, you know, hopefully loves his country and loves his family, but just did a horrible job. The worst job you could possibly imagine reading my book. When I got the audio version of my book and I turned it on, I couldn't, he didn't get a sentence out of his mouth and I was across the room turning it off. It's that bad. It's not how it sounds. He doesn't get it. It's not how it sounds. It's like, I would rather have had Alvin and the chipmunks read this book. Than the so guy you that feel read the like book. the this man was so detached from the actual material that he wasn't he's capable of delivering opera. the book. Yeah, he's a soap opera actor, and like you could tell that he wouldn't be able to 
even imagine a world in which he could imagine what's in my head. Mm. Anyhow, they had the rights for 10 years. I, didn't, I thought they had the rights in perpetuity. They had the rights for 10 years. Random House has got the audio rights back, and I just spent three days in a studio, and I read the whole damn book from start to end, and it's now it's already available. So you can go on Audible, you can go on your bookstore, like the iTunes, I whatever, what the hell is it called? Like the iTunes bookstore on your app, on your phone? Yeah. And it's me reading my damn book. American Buffalo in Search of a Lost Icon, read by me now, not some hoser. Yeah. (laughs) Daddy long legs. Daddy long legs. So a lot of people have heard this claim that daddy long legs are one of the most venomous spiders in the world, <laughs> but they lack the fangs big enough to, like, puncture human skin. Yes, so, I know this to be true. Like, they, they are, <laughs> like... And if a bird eats them, it dies. Sure, yeah. They're, they're, they're like would... a loaded... They're a loaded gun without a trigger. <laughs> well yes. done. I I'm very it. aware of this. I was just telling my kids this over the weekend, oh, perfect. I think. Yeah, it's, I mean, a death sentence. To... it's a death sentence for every bird that picks you one You need up. to read our website, Moriani. <laughs> he did. He just can't retain it. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, uh, when we started looking into this claim, attempting to track down the origin, it was impossible. Could not figure out where this came from. But within our editorial team, we have people from Hawaii to Washington to Kansas um, to Maryland and Every one of those people had heard this claim as a kid. So, like, it's a nationwide, maybe worldwide. Kansas. Morgan Mason. Oh, yeah. That's I, right. I heard that growing up. Texas. There we go. The whole country. Probably a lot of the world has heard this claim. Um, but almost all of it is inaccurate. So, for one, daddy long legs are not spiders. They are harvestmen, which is also a type of arachnid. So, right off the bat, this claim is wrong. They also do not have any venom in them. Um, but what they do have and what maybe started, like, this theory or this rumor is that No venom at all or no venom that can hurt humans? No venom at all. If something attacks a daddy long legs, their first line of defense are those long, brittle legs that could break off, and then they got seven more legs they can scurry away with. And those legs will actually continue to twitch after something grabs them. So it's like... Ugh. It fools the predator, whatever it is, a bigger spider or some kind of bird or whatever, grabs onto these things. That's their first line of defense. Second line of defense is something actually, like, gets them in their mouth. They secrete this, like, foul-smelling, foul-tasting, foul-looking substance that basically makes whatever's eating them, if it has, like, a, a sense of taste, release them. Okay? So I'm guessing that's maybe what started this, is that somebody observed that, some sort of amphibian eating one of these things and then spitting it out because of that foul tasting substance but they have no venom um and the other part of the this you know rumor is that they my favorite part they lack the big fangs which they actually have their fangs (laughs) are similar to a brown recluse in size and we know brown brown recluse can penetrate skin no problem they actually tested this on an episode of mythbusters They got one of these things to bite somebody and it penetrated skin, but they lack like the aggressive attitude to bite anybody. And the primary use for those fangs is to pick stuff up and hold it while it eats it. So they have the fangs. They're not spiders and they don't have any venom. Basically the whole thing not being spiders. Well, they're harvestmen. That's like, 
I don't know. They're not that, an arachnid. It, no, it doesn't have the the body type to fall into the spider category, right? Uh, so they are a member of the arachnid class, like spiders, scorpions. Oh, or but they're not lumped in with spiders. Correct. Yep. So basically, the whole thing is wrong. But I cannot track down where this started or or why. But my theory would be that somebody observed them eating something, spitting it back out. And that's how it came to be. Yeah. That's good. And somebody wrote in after they read that and said that they were relieved to hear that. Oh, this is great. Because they haunted an area, a swampy area that seems to have a lot of these things. And there was one instance where this guy was bow hunting. And he shot a buck that ran off and he gave it a few hours and he went and started tracking it. And after a few hundred yards... He lost blood. He was down to just like pin-sized bits of blood that he couldn't see in the dark, and he thought that this buck was lost. He wasn't going to be able to find it. The blood trail was gone. At that point, he noticed, like as he was kind of going down this trail on his hands and knees, that a bunch of daddy long legs were congregating in certain areas every few feet. And those daddy long legs, once he kind of shooed them away, noticed that they were on these pin-sized bits of blood. Oh, Yeah, and so he actually used that for a long time to track this deer by watching where these daddy long legs were congregating and was able to find that buck about 500 yards away. Don't you feel, as a writer, that if you're going to take what you heard about daddy long legs being venomous and go out and find the truth of it, right, and, and do all that, don't you find that that contradicts a little bit you then taking what this gentleman said <laughs> and putting it out there as though we're sure that this is what happened? Yes, that's a good point. Some, something Do you I feel addressed. that you might go to a daddy long leg um, and cut your finger and put a drop of blood and see if he, in fact, is interested in it? Um, I think that'd be a cool test. Something that I learned while writing this is that you can't uh, listen to anybody. <laughs> yeah, that, but you should you should actually embrace like seeing daddy long legs around because they're nature's little vacuums. These things will eat uh, dead bugs, aphids, flies, fungus, moss, bird droppings, worms, oh, snails. So it's not out of the question no, that you like a little blood no. laying there. So if if there was this matted down area in a swamp and blood was falling there and there was a bunch of daddy long legs, I could see this happening that they were picking up on where this blood was at and like congregating to that area. Mm-hmm. Have we talked before? I believe we have. I'm sure you, I'm, I, don't, you, I know you weren't present. Have we talked before about the, the fooled by randomness? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fooled by coincidence. Yeah, I'm aware this is very anecdotal, but but it might be gold. Very I don't know. I just think you, yeah. I, just, I just think we need to dig into it. But <laughs> we don't have, quite, have to quite revise the uh, big game hunting, butchering, cooking guidebook to include that into the blood trailing section. Not quite yet, yet but, but maybe someday. Yeah, because I think we should sell a box of daddy long legs. <laughs> right? And when you lose a trail, you scatter them around. Give it a minute. And pick, the tra- pick the trail back up again. Box of 10,000 day long legs. No mm-hmm. venom. <laughs> and they're numbered one through 10,000. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no venom. Yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it a thousand times more. If you got a family and you got people that rely on you, you need to take life insurance seriously. And Policy Genius is the country's leading online insurance marketplace. So with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Your life insurance policy you know, that you get at work may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. Policy Genius gives you unbiased advice from a licensed expert support team. Now, this is super convenient, right? Because a lot of times, you know, something like life insurance, you're just going to put it off because you're like, when will I ever have time to do that? I don't even know who to talk to about it. Well, this helps you do it online. Okay, again, you're comparing options from top companies, all right? Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You can go further with Can-Am. I'm telling you, man, I don't care if you're hunting on a farm, hunting on a ranch, hunting out on public, cruising up and down the beach down in Baja, out in the desert in Sonora where we hunt coos deer. Riding in a Can-Am is just funner than riding a vehicle. Everything about it's better. And you can check these two models out, the Defender. This is the undefeatable workhorse from Can-Am. Because like you, it never quits in the face of the toughest work. And it's got HVAC, which keeps you protected from the elements. And you can enjoy the perfect temperature when it's freezing cold or real hot. Heavy-duty Rotax engine with a class-leading 69-pound-feet of torque. And check this out. Up to 2,500 pounds towing capacity. The Outlander 500 or 700. This is an all-capable workhorse. Nothing you can't overcome. HD5, HD7 engines that power through any job. Engineered with the strength, features, and build to never let you down. So you're getting reliability and a quality build ready for any job with 125 accessory options. To find your next Can-Am or to shop online, visit canamoffroad.com slash hunting. Uh, I guess about it for precursor stuff. Oh, Danielle's going to talk about... Oh, no, one more quick thing. So Cal's here. Spencer, you've been hearing from already. Danielle Pruitt is here. Yanni. And then... uh. There's a weird thing where there's a guy named Phil here who's always here, but he used to always be behind um, 
a yellow curtain. Sometimes here, sometimes present, engineering behind a curtain. But Phil now has got himself a new station. No mic. But he's got a new station and he's present. So if you can feel the aura of of someone, you're feeling Phil. I'm going to take a little video and we'll post it. So, so people can knows. see Phil yeah. behind us. Do you have any? Oh, Spencer, would you mind sliding your mic over to Phil for a minute? I wasn't sure if I had permission to, to speak. but um... Hi, how's it going? Phil, um, of the things we've talked about so far, do you have anything that you... What what has been your general um, impression of the show so far? I learned something new every single, every you single have, time I sit in here. <laughs> has anyone said anything yet and you're like, this person's so stupid, there's no way that's true, I wish they weren't here? No, not at all. No, this is it's good programming. If, if anyone's heard The Hunting Collective, I've been on a couple of times, and people who listen to that know that this is not my world at all. I that's why I'm asking. Yeah, I was hired because I know how to twiddle knobs and, and click buttons on a computer and make this show sound good. Uh, but you haven't heard anything so far that you thought was just like, like just like, you're like, these people are horrible. No, absolutely not. No. Yeah. Okay. Do, do you Happy like be being uh, front and center, or do you like kind of having your own little office back there more? Well, so, <laughs> I mean, Steve uh, kind of brought this up earlier when he saw me. My mind wandered, and I was staring into the, the far the far distance. <laughs> yeah, what were you thinking about there, Phil? I was honestly thinking about a way to set these these boom arms up to make you happy. Oh, so you were doing work. I was doing work. Oh, I thought you I caught you, you not doing work. <laughs> no, I, I was oh. drifting off. I was trying to picture like how, how I could make this better, so... I just wanted you to know you were still at work. I'm on the clock, okay. man, twenty four seven. Because I had uh, I had actually already emailed to have your pay docked by thirty seconds. God, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll retract. Okay, I appreciate it. I'll Thank retract you. the email. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I at least behind my curtain I was safe from you catching me uh, thinking about mics. Yeah, with my eyes kind of partially crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to be here. Doing good so far. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, Danielle, mm-hmm. can you tell everyone about the proper way to, uh, about the proper way to ground, brown, uh, ground meat? Yeah. So I started filming that because many, many times when I first started cooking, I, you know, you read a recipe and you're like, brown the meat and then step two, you do whatever you're doing after. And it's just like this overlooked process And I started to realize that browning the meat actually means that it should be brown. And and if you think about any other recipe, say you're about to braise something, why do we sear the meat before we stick it inside of a braising liquid? It's to sear it. You're creating the mired reaction, amino acids. They start caramelizing uh, when it's the chemical chemical reaction between uh, amino acids and protein when introduced to heat they that's what's going on when something gets crispy yeah when you sear something and you get that brown exterior that golden crust that is the reaction that's happening and that is what flavor is and i read something really interesting about that uh many years ago uh from an evolutionary standpoint humans began to learn what was safe to eat based on that reaction. So when you when you see it when you have that reaction happening, it's the smell of roasted meats, toasted bread, 
coffee, all of those like roasty, nutty flavors that are happening, you know, you start to salivate when you smell barbecue or something being cooked. Um, And so I thought that was kind of an interesting, interesting thing. Like, why do you start salivating? It's you're telling your brain that, oh, this is good to eat. I can, it's safe to eat. I'm buying it. So anyway, so you have these reactions happening in the pan and that builds a lot of flavor for what it, whatever it is you're cooking. And browning meat is really the same principle. So instead of just browning meat just to cook meat through, because you're usually going to, what, add other things to it, like if you're going to make a taco or uh, like a pasta, like a bolognese type of thing, you're still going to cook it and add other things to it. So it's not about really cooking the meat. It's about developing more flavor into the overall dish. Rather than just rather than just making it edible. I'm not trying to teach people this is how you cook meat through. I mean, I mean, this is how you make something better is what I wanted to show because I think it's just very overlooked. And so I did that little video, which is just one way of browning meat. And the way that I I did that was based off the fact that the meat was freshly ground. So, like, that's another thing you should pay attention to. I personally like to grind meat and cook it instantly instead of I used to grind everything all at once when I was processing the deer, package it all up, and then freeze it. And then I hated that mushy texture. Oh, yeah, but I mean, like, but that's I just like, that. but that's like a, but you can't. But, but that's, so like I a, got that's two, a convenience thing, man. I, got, I know. I got two ways. Okay. So the way that I showed on the video was because it was freshly ground, you get all these like separated strands from like being extruded in the grinder and you can separate it in the pan and you get all these nice little crispy bits. Now, if you have a package of ground meat defrosted and you notice that it's just sort of in a in a in a patty form. Blah. The yeah. water, and it's a lot of it's, water from all the ruptured cell yeah, walls. Well, you should definitely pat it really dry first with paper towels. Is that right? I always do that. In fact, if it's really, really bloody, um, like if, you know, if you're grinding meat and like you're washing the meat and you're grinding and like everything's just, there's like a lot of water and then you freeze it like that and then you package it up and there's just tons of juices. Yeah. I'll even set it inside of a strainer, set inside of another bowl and leave it in the refrigerator for several start hours. Start drying it out. To, yeah, get all that. No kidding. Juice out. I use that nice uh, Lexan thing that you guys started using up at the fish shack. Those like Lexan containers that have the like the flo- like the per- perforated floor. Yeah, that's a good ass container, man. But you know what? My uh, the the and we used to get those in Anchorage, and that they that that where the place that sold them, the restaurant supply place that sold that line, picked up another line which isn't as good. Are you oh, talking about well, you, a rice you, strainer? You can buy them just right down here at J&V on Mendenhall. Oh, they got them in town? Yeah. With the strainers? Yeah. They got the lids? Yeah. Oh, I always get them out of my, make my brother get them for it's me. It's you like know, a rice you, to clean your rice? No, you know Food what? Food service Le- containers. You know what Lexan is? Lexan container? No. It's a material. It's a just a hard plastic that they use in restaurants oh. that like you can have Hotel pans, half pans, all the different size pans made out of. If you don't want, stains. but you can put hot, you can put hot water. In it. You can put hot liquids in it. You don't got to wait for them to cool. Yeah, like any of those plastics that you see in mm-hmm. the, in a restaurant kitchen. But these are like commercial food service containers that are like the most. Anyone that hunts and fishes should have these things. Mm-hmm. 
I don't care what the hell brand you buy. This is a hot tip right here. Listen, you want to talk up. about yeah, and a lid like you want to talk about a lid. You got the lids? I don't. I just I don't even know what bottom. kind I have. But this got but, the strainer. But, but the bottom, oh, it, it's basically a plate that some. sits maybe an inch off the bottom no. on, on little half plastic. inch. Okay, half an inch on like little plastic legs, and it's just perforated. So whatever you put in there when you're thawing it out, it just naturally has a place to go. Okay. Yeah, man. You put like your Same fish in there. You put your fish fillets in there and put it in your fridge. They're not basing in their own. Yeah. Right. Works just like your strainer and bowl is just like another thing to have in your kitchen. <laughs> but a better thing. I just got, uh, you know, the like the old, like they look like uh, flower petals that come out, little steamer baskets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? I just got one of those for free. It's probably 30 years old, but that thing's great for putting in a variety of containers for just this exact thing. Because gotcha. it'll, you know, forms to a bowl, but also you can just, like, lay it out there on a plate. Let your stuff dry out. Yep. Uh, I want to get back to this, though, because, hold on a now. Why uh, is it important to have dry meat? Well, I want to comment on this, because I notice sometimes you'll be in a restaurant that, like, prides themselves on their hamburgers. Mm-hmm. And they like to point out, never been frozen. And I always felt like they were taking a hit at me, because I always grind up my meat and freeze it. But man, you get some watery ass burger. That's from, all from freezing. Yeah, when you like yeah. freeze burger and thaw it out, you're, a lot of releasing... water gets released from that. And it's so funny it's... you mentioned like that you're sometimes grinding it up and it's not dry. Yeah. Um, well, whenever you're freezing, those liquids expand, puncture the meat, and so you do lose more juices. Yeah. So that's why when before you freeze it, you're like. Yeah, there's just a little bit of juices in there, no big deal. And then you defrost it, and you're like, where'd this come from? Looks like somebody, you know. Anyway, so yeah, draining, straining it out, patting it really dry. And then if it's already sort of in a mound. Like Let me a, hit you with a question. Pat, okay. How, if you take a paper towel and go to pat ground meat, mm-hmm. doesn't just stick to the paper towel? No. Make it a little bit, and you can just fl- dry it off. Okay. Are you patting like the brick of meat, or are you like spreading the meat I out and then patting it? I actually put it out on a big. I use sheet trays for like all prep work. Um, either a big sheet tray, spread it out in a thin layer, and I'll take several pieces of paper towels, set it on top until it all blots as dry as I can, or as much as I have the patience for. What's your paper towel budget? <laughs> I, I go through like one pack of paper towel a year. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my god. Because you, yeah, because you get sucked into using too it much for drying meat. Uh, I was at a dude's house but recently. But I don't use it for anything else. Like if I spill something or like you know like kitchen cleaning, I don't right. use paper That's towels. Like your I like use, use it for. Yeah, but dude, I was meat. at a guy's house recently, and he I I don't know, but I assume he has an anti paper towel agenda. Uh huh. So he's using kitchen towels, and we're cleaning fish, and everything's getting, like, kitchen toweled. And then I looked at the pile of stuff that needs to be washed. It's got to smell so bad. Well, I'm just, like, wondering, like, when you factor in the water, like, I don't know. I don't know about industrial processes. But when you factor in, like, a bunch of laundry and the soaps and water usage, I don't really know. Like, I don't know what goes into making paper, you know? I think that one load of towels is 
is less energy or environmental roll damage paper or however you want to put it is I would think so. Then a roll of paper towels. But, I don't know. Here, I I'm mean, here, I'd be curious to know because I remember thinking like, oh, that's a cool idea. He doesn't use paper towels. But then after a while, I'm like, but he damn sure uses his laundry machine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was camping with uh, my mom and my stepdad. My stepdad was telling me how my mother has reduced him to a two paper towel, two squares of paper towel per day <laughs> allotment <laughs> because she felt that his paper towel use was just way over the top. Yeah. So my mother-in-law likes paper towels so much that when she sets something on a table, she likes to set it. She likes to put a paper towel down. Like let's say Is you it gave, coaster? but for anything. So <laughs> let's say she has remembered that she needs to take like a medic, uh, like a pill, late. like, like she has to take an ibuprofen later after she eats. She will, I don't know what, she, I don't know what's going on, but uh, she'll lay down a paper towel and then put the pill on it. And then what is the life of the paper towel after that? It's done. <laughs> My great-grandmother used to babysit us a lot, and, you know, she was she went through the Depression, and I remember... I went through a couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> I remember she would... She would take those paper towels, wash them, air them, dry them out. I mean, she would use a piece of paper towel until, like, it was just nothing but just disintegrated. That's interesting. Over um, and over. I haven't thought about it, but my oh. great, my great aunts did that, too. Dan Bergan's wife at our fish shack will dry them out, depending on what's going on. Yeah. Now, I, Where I, nothing dries. I like the yeah, no, you can't dry it out. <laughs> I'll propose this. I, in the Ronella household, I think we have a healthy relationship with paper towels. Uh... We have them, and now and then we use a couple. That's it. Okay. We have a healthy relationship with them. I'm doing a better job with plastics in the kitchen. I uh, switched out to all the reusable Ziploc bag stuff, Ooh, the which stashers. are expensive. Stashers? But, yeah. yeah. Holy shit, are they They're expensive. expensive, so you like really got to Are you use liking them, them though? Yeah, because when you wash them, I just flip them inside out, scrub them, and then they kind of prop up to air dry inside out. Hmm. Nice. That's what I was worried about. I was like getting dirty in the like crevices. What are they called? Uh, the ones I, think, I bought were stashers. That's what stashers. I got. Yeah, it's and it looks like a ziploc. I maybe mine were so expensive. Were very I heavy, them at a very heavy duty retail store instead Silicone. of like a like through Silicone. a dishwasher heavy yeah. duty. Yeah, can you see what's in it? Yeah, yeah. You can get clear or colored. Dude, I might have to get a couple of these. I probably bought six or eight of them, various sizes from like, you know, small little snack pack to, I think the biggest one I got was a gallon. And I think I spent a hundred bucks with shipping. And how many wow. did you wind up with? Six or eight. Whoa. And you're, and you're loving. Well, they're good for what they're used for. You're, we're not going to travel to Alaska and then put a bunch of caribou meat in them and instead of using Ziplocs and fly back with them. You know, that's not what they're for. But for like, instead of using Ziplocs around the house, they're great. Let me do, do this environment. Let me do an environmental test on you. I turned you on to a, if I say so myself, pretty nice chanterelle mushroom spot over the weekend. Yes. Thank you very much. You went out there and did pretty well for yourself, right? Did. I feel like you told me that you had two plastic bags full of mushrooms. That's right. What kind? Grocery. Plastic. Yeah. Reusing them. Oh, that's a good point. You recycled. Do you I want to get back to this ground meat plastic, 
uh, Ziploc bag? I mean, Vax Seal bags. No. I thought you said you were going to start doing that. I haven't I yet. We already had this talk. <laughs> oh, what am I saying? No, 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 no. Oh, man, you want to hear a story about that? I did. I just washed one, dried it, and put it back up. Awesome. I've done one, a sample. But check this out. Last night, I'm uh, putting some stuff away in my garage. The other day, we went over to um, to the Roscoe family for dinner. Kurt's mm-hmm. been on the show before. Stone Glacier Backpacks, uh, Kurt Roscoe. Founder yep. and designer. Uh, he's been on the podcast. Uh, and uh, remember we got some a guy wrote in about how he's harder than a woodpecker's lips. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, we went to the Roscoe family for dinner, and I brought over as a, you know, when you go to someone's house, you bring them a little gift. Yep. I brought over a uh, bunch of fish, halibut and whatnot. And I brought it over in one of those hoppers, a Yeti hopper. And I was like, hey, there's a bunch of fish in there. Go ahead and put it in your freezer. And then I bring my thing home. Well, when they, they don't know this yet, but when they were emptying the bag out, they failed to grab, this is a couple weeks ago, failed to grab out a pack of halibut. Last night, I'm in my garage and I'm like, what in the world is that? I it was a smell that I I've smelled some smells in my day. Like <laughs> oh, I have no. smelled I, I would venture to say I've smelled more smells than ninety-nine percent of Americans. Um and this smell was hard to place and it was hard to track down. And I have because like, you know, you don't think to look in certain places. And I eventually realized that they had left a pack of halibut and it was in a Weston back seal bag. The bag hadn't failed, but it had puffed up like it was going to explode. Oh. With a hunk of green halibut inside of it. You ever see a lingcod that has that phenomenon where they, they have blue flesh? Yeah. That no. is a name for it. Uh, green ling get it too. This had turned like an iridescent green inside that vac bag. And I handled it very delicately because it had blown up like a balloon, but hadn't ruptured. No liquid. But you could smell it. The smell came through the plastic. You could smell it, and it was smelly in the bag. I I bleached out the hopper, and it's fine. No liquid had come out, but somehow it it had gotten so putrid that it had put off like a putrid effort. Somehow ga- gas was escaping. It was yeah. esca- the liquids couldn't, but the gaseous stench of this rotten flesh. So this was the first bag that you rinsed out and decided to try to reuse? No. <laughs> what I did do, though, is I went and put it in my... I was afraid because I wasn't going to put it in my garbage because there's a few days coming and bears will get into it uh-huh. and whatnot. You didn't hang it up on the on the kid's piece of wood that they throw star- throwing stars I didn't hang at. it on the throwing star target. I put it in my freezer. And then I made it look unappealing just to make sure no one thought, oh, I'll cook some hell of it. <laughs> I wrapped it up in some other shit and put it in my freezer, and then I'm going to throw it in the garbage. But my God, was that a bad smell. But one time... Uh, when I was living with my brother Danny in Alaska, we brought home some halibut and we had put them in a dry bag and then put the dry bag in the cooler. I don't know why. And someone had forgot a pack of halibut in there. And we took his gear room apart three times trying to find out what smelled. And no one ever thought to look inside a folded up, rolled up dry bag until the third time we took everything apart and eventually found that rotten sack of fish. You oh. should have had a box of Yanni's patented non-venomous 
Daddy Long Legs. Yes, mm. you turn them loose with with pits on them, pit mm. tags on them. There you go, <laughs> and track them to the rot, to the stank. Oh, are we covered everything now? Except for back to, uh, back Brown to meat. Yeah, are we good on side notes? Yeah, feel yeah. good, Bill. Just I, you can just nod. Bill's I think that Danielle is going to answer my question now about yeah, why, I've run why out of things. is it important to have dry meat when you um, when you go to brown it? Uh, well, very good question. And this applies across the board for searing things that moisture, when it hits the pan, it's steaming the meat. It's not going to create a crust. So... This means if you pull it right out of the fridge and immediately hit the pan, what happens? It steams because mm-hmm. it's really cold, hitting high heat. The same thing happens if you're going to grill a fish whole, skin on. If you put it on the grill while it's still cold, it's going to start steaming, and then that skin doesn't get crispy. You're just going to stick to the stick to the grill grates. Um, so, yeah, so drying it out. Doing the best you can to prevent excess moisture will give you the best chance for getting a crust. I, I feel that of the ground meat I've browned in my life, and I've browned a fair bit of it, I feel like that I've boiled most of it. Yeah. Because we, you know, like if you're lazy and you don't thaw it out, we'll even, I'll even take like the frozen wad of it and put some oil in the bottom of a pan and just speed thaw it in the pan. And so, you know what I mean? And it's not no. browned. It's it's like <laughs> I mean, you're basically do, but... bo- you should say like I'm gonna boil up a bag of ground meat. Is what you're basically doing is like steaming. Yeah, you could put your broccoli right on top and steam <laughs> it at the same time. Yeah, you never done that, Danielle. You never gotten like that lazy. No, I've I've been done some a lot of lazy things. Um, I've gotten to the, you know, I've gotten to the point where I. This is a famous line my father in law father-in-law told me a long time ago and i'm stealing it be careful what you introduce your taste buds to because once you start doing things the right way you just can't go backwards yeah Mm. you know like once it's hard like when i know what something's supposed to taste like taking a bag of half frozen meat and just like i'm just gonna throw it in it's not that i i wouldn't do it that way it's just i would i wouldn't say I'm going to go brown the meat, I would just say, why don't we just slow cook this with a bunch of liquids because it's already got a ton of liquids in there. So just skip the browning step. Are there any exceptions to it? Like, or do you do this when you're doing chili, tacos, You know, it's not that you have to do it that way. It's just think of it as a better way to introduce more flavor, a deeper, richer flavor of more meatiness to, to what you're eating as opposed to... You see, I think about, you know, there's some, if you're going to cook an onion, there's a difference between sweating an onion and there's a difference between caramelizing an onion. So that reaction when those sugars and the proteins mix, they, they caramelize. That's the crust that's happening. That's that flavor. If you are sweating, steaming, introducing heat, you know, think about onions that are just constantly mixed and they taste so much more mild in flavor. That are not as sugary. You don't you don't have the same. So it's not necessarily that I'm going to say one way is right or wrong. I'm just saying there's there's ways to make it better. You can have rich, full, meaty flavor or boiled meat. Exactly. So what's the next step in the process? You've patted it dry. 
Heat your pan. Ripping hot. Yeah, I'm back and forth on how hot to do things. You grease it? Once the pan's hot. Then I add oil. And you know when the pan's hot and the oil's hot? What's your oil these days? Your avocado oil, grape oil, something high heat? Yeah, Great that sound. Costco avocado oil is hard to beat. Is it? Really? Yeah, I like, I like, I use ghee a lot. So, and that's another thing. I just if got a Costco membership and I feel like I'm just like on full blown path to being a yuppie. A one man household. <laughs> I've, I've never shopped at Costco. Can we back I don't up a like second? buying in bulk. <laughs> what was your old, what was your father-in-law talking about? Be uh, careful what you introduce your taste Yeah, but what was to? he referring to? I know, like that, that really resonated eating, with me. Eating Okay, he said that to me um, when I was when when I was still dating. He, uh, my husband, now husband, he took us out to eat at his nice steakhouse. I'd never had foie gras before. Oh, and before he, and it was a nice bottle of wine. And before uh, we ate it, he's like, "Be careful what you introduce your taste buds to." And I'm like, "Oh, I'm officially ruined." Um, anyway, but. I just like saying that. No, that's good because, you know, I had never had a lot of exposure to cultured, moneyed people until I moved to Montana. And I didn't know about good coffee. I didn't know about high-end coffee. We just drank coffee from the gas station. Totally happy with it. Never thought there was any problem. Yeah. Then I found out about fancy coffee. It's hard to go And then back. I recognized that the gas station coffee, but but I never realized the problem with it. And then the hot dogs on the rollers in gas stations. Yeah. Never had any problem with those hot dogs. Yeah. Then you find out about other I hot dogs. St- I still don't. I love them. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there are like... But you know there's a difference. There are, yeah, there are other hot dogs out there in the world. Right. I think it's it's one it, of those it's a really, things... It's a really great... It's a good observation that your old man had, or your dad's... Your husband's old man. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just something that the more I cook, the more that I, I just enjoy relishing the way things are supposed to taste, and I want it to to make it the best every time. And sure, there's plenty of times where I'm really lazy, but if I'm going to do something the lazy way, then I'm just not going to cook that recipe. I'm just going to cook something simpler. Can you tell something to your father-in-law when you see him next? Is he still sure. alive? Uh-huh. Tell him uh, when he says that next, say, not necessarily. And then tell him that I've actually kind of like over time, I used to be, I got for a while really interested in really like complicated good food. Mm-hmm. Then I got kind of sick of it. Yeah, you and now I'm like, rich. To, now I got sick of it. Now I just like things that look like I just I now I like food that looks like it grew out of the ground or just got chopped out of an animal. Yeah, that's I think, like my normal. That's like how I like it to look. I like to look like it looked like it was alive a minute ago. And I, I got away from true. stuff that's hard to make. I think that's true for anybody. The more that you cook. When I started cooking, I wanted demi glace on every time I ate a steak, and it was just everything got so rich and so heavy. And then I kind of scaled back to just eating food the way they're meant to be in an like a pure form. And yeah, we can you recognize just really appreciate the naturalness in. And when you start eating that way, everything becomes more bolder flavors without the need of like salt. I'm I'm really sensitive to salt now. I don't. I don't like to have really salty foods. Um, but no, I get what you're saying. It's like kind of scaling down to the basic natural. Yeah, like if you went to my house at dinner time, any jackass could come in and look at the table and be like, and he would tell you everything that was on the table. Mm-hmm. Like everything that was in everything. Yeah. It'd just be, oh, that's like some lettuce, you know. That's mm-hmm. like this. That's like that. That's yeah, it's like not that. like a there's bunch no of sauces. Like, it's just like it's no just nothing. a bunch it's of just ingredients. Stuff that came out of the dirt, man. 
I'd yeah. be like, where's the demigloss? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying, man? Like, but for a while, I was into really making stuff that was complicated because I just thought it was fun to make it. It was fun yeah. to eat it. It's really good. But it just got burned out. So tell them, tell them like up to a point, but then people get old and they go the other direction. I will tell them that. And then there's like Call the right whole now. category of nostalgia <laughs> meals too. You know, it's like we didn't, the bulk of what we ate as far as like day-to-day growing up as a kid was not anywhere near super thought out or gourmet. You know, like the whole genre of oh, yeah. casseroles helped by Campbell's. Yeah, right? like back so, when, I don't know, I imagine people still do it, but... um. Like, where there's certain meals your mom would make, and they were almost patterned. Like, your mom made, like, eight things, and they re- they sort of repeated. Yeah, would you like, like this, like, like, this? like There's, like, meat, like, that you make, like, there's, like, you know, like, there's meatloaf, and then they make a sheet pizza, and they make this, and then, like, next Tuesday, you, it just kind of starts over. Yeah, next Tuesday, it's going to be a casserole. <laughs> so, my kids claim that there's a little bit of that going on in my house now. <laughs> like, you circle Again? back Again? This is all we're having? Again? <laughs> That's so funny. No, but uh, back to your father-in-law's advice, I don't think that necessarily means fancy over-prepared food because in the case of foie gras... Like, that's usually served very, very simply. It's a good point, yeah. Seared, salt and pepper. You're right. You maybe, may or may not have a little sauce on it. Um, yeah, that's true. And so it could be something like, for me, I never really had good seafood until I was well into my 20s. And when I first started eating it, I was like, holy shit, this is, I need more of this. Yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a great point. it's not necessarily as a gourmet perspective as it is, as it is a learning to appreciate things, um, like what I was saying, brown, properly browned meat adds so much flavor. And once you start doing it that way, I appreciate it so much that I can't not brown it if I'm cooking ground meat like that again. Just, uh, like, yeah, just no, be I, I'm careful with you. what you're what you're introducing yourself to because now every time you go to cook, you're gonna have a, lo- a level of expectation. Yeah, I think I was guilty of trying to. Uh, jam in an unrelated point. No, it's still, I mean, it's still applicable. Because if you went and uh, properly browned some ground venison mm-hmm. and then did the old, like, boil, the, the <laughs> accidental boil, and then just put a little salt on each and had a, a fork full of each, mm-hmm. the browned with, like, the nice crisp and everything is a whole other world. Yeah. Not yeah. even the same thing. Definitely. But have you gotten so particular that you don't like to just freeze up 100 pounds of grind? Like you're pulling the damn grinder out. I don't expect anybody to, to, okay, so it's different because now this is my job. And so I get to be at home and I get to do this. And I think if anybody wanted to go this route, I would just say make make time on a Sunday or whatever day you have off and grind three pounds, four pounds of meat and just eat it throughout the week. Instead of like every night, got to get the grinder out, if that makes any sense. I mean, it makes a difference to me, and I like doing it that way, but it's it's just not really practical. It, for it's not, m- but it does anybody. make a difference. I read that somewhere too once and tried to do it. And I think for something like a, if you're like really like going to serve some burgers to guests, 
it might be worth it, right? Yeah. But if you're doing tacos and chili for the kids. like Yeah, something like chili that's already going to be braised in a lot of liquids. I don't think it matters that much. So this is, it brings me to my second way of browning. So like the first way. Well, I don't know if we finish this one. Yeah, I know. It's been a lot of. You've got oh, it. we haven't finished it? No, no, no. We should got, make an edited it. version of this show. Phil, take note. <laughs> Maybe we make an edited version where all the dumb shit's cut out. <laughs> and it's just like the actual stuff that matters. So and you so- get a five-minute version of the podcast, which is like what matters. Yeah. And then you get your 90-minute version with all the stupid shit in it. Yeah, million-dollar idea. <laughs> so far, you've got the meat that's padded dry, a pan that is piping hot with well, oil, so the- and then what? Yeah, so I was just saying, like, if it's a fresh grind, you can actually separate, like, each each meat strand that extrudes, you can separate it and you get lots of teeny tiny crispy bits. But when you defrost it from the freezer, it's all sort of mashed together. So I put it in the pan in one flat layer, smashed together, let it whole brown as if you're browning a giant patty, and then take a spatula and flip the whole thing over. Lid on or lid off? Definitely off. On will trap the steam. You want to release the liquids. Anyway, that's it. I'm done with the browning of the meat. You satisfied with that? Yeah. But that that's part, that's like the one way to do it. That was, well, that, that's well, a second way. Yeah. Got you. I mean, it's the Lots same Lots of individual pieces crisping up. Right. I'm just saying, Got if, you. if you can separate it out, if, if it's like fresh grind, if it's not a fresh grind, then you can form a flat patty to cover the whole pan. But you got to leave it alone, let a nice crust develop, and then flip the whole thing and brown it all on the other then side. Then break that like a giant and thin it's burger. A giant, yeah. Yeah. I, I would like to say that I'm gonna try with that. my Ketchum Kitchen, I had a Ooh, hand that'd be a good grinder. name for a show, the Ketchum Kitchen. The Ketchum Kitchen. <laughs> All sorts of connotations. With Brian Cal Callahan. <laughs> um, but I had a hand grinder that was there all the time, just lived on the counter. And it, I mean, it takes less than 10 minutes to grind burgers for six people, as long as the meat's pre, you know, in a, in a good place to grind it. Was it a grinder or a paster? Grinder. <laughs> it was a grinder. It ground yeah. it. What's a paster? Oh, it's like a, a grinder, grinder that doesn't work. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. No, or this, it like puts out good. like a it puts out like a baloney paste. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, like Braunschweiger, yeah. whatever, you, whatever you. But put like we that. growing up, we had like what we called like the grinder. And it was a hand grinder. In hindsight, it was like it was like if you'd like put all your meat between a couple steel plates and then drove a car over to handful of times and then like put that in a bag and froze it. That was oh, ground that was our ground oh, meat. Oh no. No. But yeah. Hand grinder, it and you know the hand, beauty of the hand grinder is that it is very simple to clean too. And I think they're small enough to where mentally you're not thinking that you're taking on some big endeavor. Dude, I might just start keeping a hand grinder it's great. It makes no, because my kids will put makes, their hands in there and they'll grind their hands off. Makes a serious, serious difference. I think fresh burger. What fat content are you guys going? Oh with? yeah, yeah, that's a good question for you, Daniel. Yeah, you know, I think if you're going to make a sausage, you definitely need fat. Twenty percent. Is that what you do? Is that all you do? I. I'm if not. I had to pick one for the rest of my life, I would do fifteen for burger, and I'd do heavier twenty. For sausage. 
You do more than 20 for sausage? Yeah. Yeah. Like, we've done... Is it still wild game? We've done 50%. That's not get, wild game. And getting, fa- getting fancy fat. That's wild game flavored meat. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you're bringing this up. I was going to a chef buddy of mine was just in town a couple weekends ago, and I was lamenting to him how the first time I made Steve Kendrott's fennel sausage recipe, it's not his, but he shared it with us. I, I call it his. Same way I call the marriage <laughs> thing yours. It's 50% pork fat. And this is actually, it's, an, it's like Pork a, fat or like pork? Pork fat. Dude, this yeah. is a, <laughs> this is some good. 50% pork fat to, to 50% venison. And the recipe actually calls for venison. It's not beef or, or whatever, veal. Um, yeah, veal. Which is still beef. But, yeah. uh, it's 50-50, and it's wonderful sausage. But when you cook it, no matter how slow and carefully you do it, because the slower, lower temperature you do, you shouldn't, shouldn't lose as much fat, you still end up with, like, I mean, a solid. If you're cooking six links in a pan, there's a solid inch of fat when you take them out, right? So I'm like, dude, this sucks. Like, I'm losing something, but the sausage is still so good. Like, I didn't yeah. want to change anything. And I like he it because was... you're, like, poaching the meat in fat. Uh. That'd be called frying. <laughs> well, yeah, but you do it inside a tube. And if you do it at low enough temp, you really don't fry. But that's a. But he was saying the quality and the type. No, you're kind of wrong, fat. Danielle. Go on. Yeah, but it was a funny joke. We're having a side joke. Funny. Yeah, no, I did. I appreciated it. But he was saying the type of fat from where on the pig. And the quality of it will have a lot to do with that. Yeah, but mm. this dude, Yanni's talking about. Can I quick? This dude Yanni's talking about is so next level <laughs> that he, okay, if he's making coffee, he takes a filter and runs hot water through it first to get out the flavor of the paper factory. Like a regular old brown paper filter yeah. or a white one. He gives it like a, yeah. He was not careful about his taste buds when he no, introduced. No, he did not <laughs> heed your level. father-in-law. He has not met your father-in-law. <laughs> no, he's been, he's been eating truffles and all that stuff. He, this is ne- but I'm saying, it's legit, but I'm saying this is next level. This is next level food prep that goes beyond the, 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 the aspirations of this show, but it's valuable to know anyways. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll do, I'll do zero fat, additional fat in my burger. It's just like whatever that turns out to be, and I've I've had incredible luck and served that to lots and lots of folks that eat nothing but beef burger with a lot of fat. Um, but when you're making your different sausages, and you know, obviously, like the world's your oyster as far as like what you want to put into a tube. Um, but yeah, I think some like doing Italian like coarse ground linked Italian sausage with a bunch of fat in there and with the going into it with like the way I'm going to prepare these is very slow uh, lower heat and you get that meat to like poach in that fat it's very very good and then and you're also the end result isn't a greasy sausage either because that that fat is getting away from from the meat I'm tracking it's not not for all things all the time, just like most of the stuff we talk about, but I don't go, oh, God, I'm wasting this wild game. Yeah, no, I know, man. It's like it's a little bit aesthetic. We've talked about it. I don't yeah. need to talk about well, it. Well, you man. and I got pretty heated when uh, on our uh, Idaho trip um, when we were cutting up your buck, 
because I was like, hey, this this meat's really good. This Idaho mule deer is going to be really tasty. And you're like, listen, I need to make sausage, so I'm going to grind this deer. And basically every chunk of meat that I'd come up with, I'd be like, yeah, but don't you want this? And mm-hmm. you're like, no, I need to make sausage. Um, so. Are you guys familiar with the a cut that, that we named after Callahan called the uh, Callahan throat roast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am. <laughs> and I didn't know yeah, that actually. you knew that. I called it throat loin. Looks <laughs> like a tenderloin on the throat. Who can who can take a stab at explaining what a throat roast is? <laughs> you had to you had to break it down in the written word, so I haven't to, done it yet. Oh I'm going to. On either side of the trachea. Yeah, like if you were to extend your chin up to the ceiling right now. And then put your two index fingers on either side of your Adam's apple, that big chunk of meat that should be on that in be- going to the outside. You're doing a great job. Of your neck. That's your those, throat roast. T- those are your throat roasts or throat <laughs> tenderloins. <laughs> we were cutting up a moose and, and someone got to digging around in there when we were cutting it up and found those big, and the moose are sizable. Yes. And I remember Cal was like just thinking like he thought he discovered a, a previously undiscovered roast, and you were supposed to report back to us. Yeah, it, it tasted like moose. I don't think there was <laughs> any major discoveries there. What did you find, Danielle? I haven't messed with it yet. I have some ideas, but I, I don't want to disclose them yet. Oh, okay, yeah. But you're gonna do something special with the throat roast. Yeah, I've got them separated, so I've got a trial batch, and then a. Fix the error and then do it again. Second batch. It's got a unique grain. You know, it's a very yeah, so long if you, grain. If you were to cut it crosswise and look at it from the side, there's it's like it's like a tube inside of a tube, but there's a sheath of silver skin in a circle. Yeah, does that make sense? It almost reminds you of like a like a shank, except there's no bone. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, I got you. Uh, Daniel, imagine that you're, um, you're dying. Okay. Trying to think of what. What's killing me. (laughs) You're dying of, uh, congenital heart failure. No. Very common in the U.S. Okay. There's no way. (laughs) Okay. What was your, uh, name something. I, uh. A bite from a daddy long legs. Okay. Imagine you got bit by a daddy long (laughs) legs. There you go. And, and, uh, it turns out that you read Spencer's thing. You're like, oh, it doesn't matter. You, uh. You started being careless around them. You're out blood trailing a buck, and they're all over the blood as as they're wont to do. And you lay down and take a nap, and um, and one gets you, and, and you're dying. And as you expire, someone asks you like, "What's your last wild game tip?" What would you say? You could pass along one wild game tip. Salt your meat in advance. You just, so you'd be like, um, how far can, in can advance? You do it at, can you do it as you die long... for me? Like, salt your, <laughs> salt your, salt your, say, come to me, child. <laughs> I'm leaving this Play, world. Just for me, do it. Um, I can't. <laughs> in the dying. Not too much. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> come closer. <laughs> 
do you do you rub it in? Do you just sprinkle on top and call it good, or do you get your hands in there? Yeah, salt you mean? Watch out for that, Daddy. And do this. You got to do it all in the that voice. Was, dude, though. I almost brought myself to tears. I was <laughs> imagining myself dying so clearly. Come to me. <laughs> all right. I, I want to know ahead of time. Talk about that. Ahead of time is a, is a that's a broad notion. What ahead of time is because it could be ten so, seconds before you cook it. It could be so. A day. That's a good point because I am back and forth on the debate on how far in advance. I've gotten to the point either. Either I do it like 30 minutes, an hour in advance at minimum, or I wait to do it after. No, I think I'd rather do it um, like a very pain, imagine a very painful death (laughs) where you're otherwise screaming in agony. Can you do that version for me? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Um, So salt is probably the most important thing in your pantry and your best friend when it comes to wild game cooking because like the way you would brine a turkey before Thanksgiving, it denatures the protein strand, so the actual structure, you've got these long fibers that are sort of intertwined together. It can actually unravel and untwist them, and it has sort of an osmosis effect. The longer it's sitting in salt or a brine, the more the meat is able to sort of reabsorb those juices so that when you go to cook, less juice is lost through the cooking process, so your meat is juicier. But when you're talking about strands of protein, you're talking about like on a microscopic level. This isn't something you can see. Well, I mean, if you were to look at a a brisket or, you know, you can see like how there's long fibers. But I I am talking about. Yeah, the throat roast has long fibers. Exactly. Um, But microscopically, yes. Protein strands. You're not seeing that happening. No, you don't. No, you don't see it happen. But if you do it right before, it kind of releases a lot of liquid. So that's where I'm on the fence of I don't want to salt right before I cook because I want a really nice sear. So it's like I'd rather just. Oh, so you salted enough work. So I, know, I was going to bring that up. Like I've, I've I taken salt it. it like I'm about to see like the way I would season the meat. It's a it's a healthy sprinkle. And I salt and pepper, and I would do that the morning I plan to cook. Sometimes and let it, I do then you it like, like then you the can let it dry out again before I cook. Um, just re- I mean, I, the longer the better. I mean, I, I haven't really explored extremely long times doing it, other than I think two days for jackrabbit. I've done that, but um, yeah, doing salting it in advance just so much for uh, helping wild game retain juice. And one of the reasons why we lose so much juice when we cook, obviously the heat, you lose juice, but wild game is so lean. So if you're thinking about like a domestic animal, not only are they having fat on the outside of a muscle, but inside there's little pockets of fat embedded in between those fibers of muscle. And so whenever you're cooking, Fat acts as a as a barrier to heat transfer, mm-hmm. so it's slower to cook. 
wild game cooks a lot faster, you lose more juice, and you don't have that mouth feel of fat juices when you're biting into a meat of a wild game. So I think adding salt beforehand makes a huge, huge difference. That is my dying wish to give. Dying piece of advice. Yeah, dying advice. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You can go further with K&M. I'm telling you, man, I don't care if you're hunting on a farm, hunting on a ranch, hunting out on public, cruising up and down the beach down in Baja, out in the desert in Sonora where we hunt coos deer. Riding a Can-Am is just funner than riding a vehicle. Everything about it's better. And you can check these two models out, the Defender. This is the undefeatable workhorse from Can-Am. Because like you, it never quits in the face of the toughest work. And it's got HVAC, which keeps you protected from the elements, and you can enjoy the perfect temperature when it's freezing cold or real hot. Heavy-duty Rotax engine with a class-leading 69 pound-feet of torque. And check this out, up to 2,500 pounds towing capacity. The Outlander 500 or 700, this is an all-capable workhorse, nothing you can't overcome. HD5, HD7 engines that power through any job. Engineered with the strength, features, and build, to never let you down. So you're getting reliability and a quality build ready for any job with 125 accessory options. To find your next Can-Am or to shop online, visit canamoffroad.com slash hunting. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do. On the same grill, you can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This this, this is my way of bull saying, if I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking. Create searing, crisping, and browning. Food is going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Uh, we talked about this, and I, I think people have, will have already heard this because we'll have already released it. But 
Yeah, they will have. We talked about this with, with Jesse Griffiths, the Texas chef from your oh, home yeah. state there. And we, we, but not in this subject. We were just talking about why do people, when you're frying fish, why do they season the breading rather than just seasoning the fish? Yeah. Like get the piece of fish exactly how you want it seasoned and, and then, then put your cornmeal on it rather than trying to like figure out how the hell much seasoning to put into the cornmeal and how much is the fish going to pick up at the actual seasoning, just season the fish. Yeah. Then put cornmeal on it and then you have the perfectly piece of seasoned fish with the cornmeal for the crispiness. That's a good point. I think and this that's like last a pre recipe, I seasoned the cornmeal. I did a double double. Batter. I still season the stuff, but now I put. Well, I'll now put it's it. like I did double batter, so you get like lots of extra crunchy, and I and you can I put cayenne in it, so it's like I taste that cayenne on the breading. I'll tell you why I would put I put paprika in there now, and it's got like the color. Yeah, it's a nice color, but I like that, and I also like that when I do pre-salt meat, like you're talking about, it does uh, moisture comes out of it. Yeah. I never thought to do it and then let that some bitch dry back out again. It's not that it's going to really dry back out. It's It can reabsorb juices, but, I mean, it does pull moisture out. So there's – if you're adding a ton of salt, then that's that's a little different. I'm not, I'm not talking about adding a, a whole layer of salt. If you're going to add a bunch of salt, then that's, that's a different effect. That is curing and that is drying out. Yeah. Um, drying out meat. So that's a little bit different, um, which is something I do days in advance for birds. If I want crispy skin, I'll put salt on it a few days in advance. Really? And set it out on the, on like a, what do you call that? Like a wire cooling rack so yeah. that there's air breathing and just fridge. let it sit in the open for a couple of days. It gets a lot crispier that way. My brother, Danny, he likes to just take big chunks of moose meat or whatever and just sets them on a cooling rack in his fridge and leave them in there for a week. Yeah. Just letting them get a crust on them. Yeah. So I used to I do a lot of the stuff. Then I had too many kids and I was just like, everything's chaotic, You don't have man. control over your fridge? It's just, uh, it's just... Just boiled meat for Steve. Just boiled. Okay, Yanni, how, how would you uh, like to die? Oh, my last final... Wild game cooking. Yeah, but I need to know causes. I need it's helpful for me to know causes. Oh, how, how I'm gonna die? People moving a piano above you. <laughs> <laughs> but he that, wouldn't have. Oh, as he pretty, sees it coming. As it sees it, I'm watching it come. And you have to spout out one last wild no, game tip. It's the end. Hmm. I can come back I'm, to you. I'm, I'm oh a, man, I'm the piano's the coming here. loose. Hope nobody's underneath us. Yeah. There's Yanni. What's he saying? <laughs> <laughs> Something about wild game. Dramatic Don't. music on the piano plays. <laughs> yes. Uh, man. This is heavy duty. I, I, I can, can't, We can I can't, pass you I, by. I can, yeah, I can, come back to me. I can't give you just any old tip. Phil, you probably don't have one. No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you asked me if, I'm, if I heard anything stupid on the show uh, yet. Uh, Asking me about wild game. That was, that was the first stupid thing anybody stupid. said. Yeah, that was the first one. <laughs> um, Spencer, do you want to go? I can go if you're not ready yet. I can go. Okay. Uh, so there you are. What's cause of death? 
probably congenitive heart failure of recent events earthquakes okay so a lot of them <laughs> going on here well yeah, you don't die from an earthquake you die from situations surrounding an earthquake right well we're we're like a few days past the 60th anniversary of hebgen lightquake okay so you're so, camping in a large mountain it's sure, falling on camping you. down at hebgen lake it fell on you mm-hmm. and you're under Suff- hundreds of feet of rock suffocating and you know that there's no survival yep but you probably have a long time Okay. You're yeah. in your, you're, you're in your, you're grabbing something out of your car. The car's protected you. Mm-hmm. Um, you have no way of moving. There's nothing to eat, but there you are. Right. But there's, somebody's there's... fished a tube down to you that you can talk into. <laughs> a rescuer. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I would say, and I used to be like pretty stubborn about this, is using a meat thermometer when I wasn't like super competent with my wild game cooking. I thought it was like, Admitting defeat, almost. If you use a meat thermometer, you're like showing your ignorance for, I don't know how to get this to medium rare. Mm -hmm. And and like, once I started doing that, it made me a way better cook. Like for that specific piece of meat and then future pieces of meat that I would cook as well when I didn't have to use that meat thermometer. So I would say like, that would be my dying wish. If you're not confident, if you uh, feel like you're constantly overcooking or pulling something out that's underdone, just use a meat thermometer. It's so easy, and it makes, like, a big difference in the long run. Let's say I was passed out in the backseat of that car mm-hmm. that got crushed under the earthquake rubble. I would wake up, and I would say, um, you'd say your thing. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, but only if it's a halfway decent meat thermometer. Because I've had a lot of meat thermometers over the years, dude. You pull it out of the counter. You pull it out of the, the drawer. And it's like, oh, that's weird. My house is 110 degrees. It's like, <laughs> there are a lot of meat thermometers out there that are useless. Yes. You have to check it. There's like all kinds of ways to calibrate them. Yeah, I was going to say, don't you could just calibrate it. I know, but I never did any of that. I now have what I call a Steve Kendrat, which just as I, just as I like to credit him with the sausage recipe, I credit him with uh, basically manufacturing the meat thermometer that he told me to purchase. What is that thing? I didn't buy one. That thing is slick as shit, man. You're not yeah. talking thermopan, are you? Yeah. That one? Yeah. No. Is it red with a poker? That poker like turns on that little LCD screen every time. Yeah. Yeah. That th- I Dude, think that's what you're talking that's about. A, yeah. That's a, yeah. I've taken, I've, I've done my, when my kids didn't feel well, I made them suck on that thing. See if they had a high fever. I've had to calibrate that's a that trusty, though, too. Yeah. But you, yeah, but it's a trusty yeah. thing once you get it dialed. Yep. Anyhow, that's what I would say from the back seat. Yeah. But overusing that meat thermometer. if it's a good one. Like on my roasts, on my steaks, on my burgers, it just made a big difference in the long run of like making me a more competent cook. Yeah. Because why have it be that you don't know if you overdid it until you go to the table and cut into it? But I think there's a lot of people, <laughs> I, I think to like my family specifically, I've never seen them use a meat thermometer. And I think there's a lot of people like that that just, I, I don't know, don't realize how great of a tool it is well if you look at like my buddy uh pooter andrew chef radjalowski he walks around the meat thermometer stuck in his pocket he's a professional chef so if he's willing to admit his yeah you know the other thing that pro chefs usually walk around with in their pocket come on you want to take a guess at it anybody phone (laughs) <laughs> tongs well that Salt. would be that would be used uh in the cooking application or in the kitchen application but as a sharpie 
because they're oh, always yeah. freaking marking shit and what and, it is uh, and putting a date on it. Masking tape. Yeah, and that's like. Yeah. That's not going to be my my uh, last dying advice, but that's a that's a pro move to always that do that. I hate looking at leftovers and being like, "Was that last Wednesday or Wednesday <laughs> before <laughs> that we had the taco meat?" Uh, Cal, you want to go? I'm ready. To, I'm ready to go. Oh, oh, I, I think my dying advice on wild game cooking is just uh, cause of death, real quick. Oh, plane going down. Okay, so it's spir- you, you survive the initial impact, or you're spiraling to the surf to the earth. Well, that wouldn't make it. I must have survived the initial impact. But you know now that this is not going to happen for you, right? Yeah, that makes more sense. Like nope. your legs, your back. Yeah, nobody over nobody dies easy in my family. Everybody lingers on, so <laughs> probably just for this reason. So it's just your like, <laughs> it's just your head, like your torso is elsewhere, and your head's like. Make sure to, yeah, make sure whatever you do to just keep trying, keep cooking. That's what I would say. That's your wild game tip? If you can produce food that somebody in your family or circle will not eat, then you don't need to hang out with those people. It's a good litmus test either way. So it's a two-piece of advice. It is, yeah. Go go into each for a little bit, Just, just... So, one, you're only going to expand your repertoire if you just keep trying things. Don't get stuck in a rut doing the same old things, but, like, try something new. Yes. Uh, And if you're nervous about producing something that could potentially, like, somehow ruin a relationship, that's a good thing as well. Because if it actually does ruin the relationship, those people aren't worth hanging out with. Exactly. Get them out of get them out of your circle. Yeah, I saw someone recently saying that their wife doesn't like wild game. I'm like, you need to get a new wife. And I'm like a pro marriage dude, right? Yes, I'm like a spokesman for being married. You are a spokesman for being married. I can't be around. Uh, certainly can't be around your wife without hearing about marriage. That's for sure. Like so. her thinking you ought to be married. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yanni, I'm gonna go uh, pro grill tip. Just got into a fight. With the grizzly bear. I did rip his jaws apart, so he's dying as well. He's with you. He's going to give a wild game tip. He's going to be like, I love huckleberries. Yeah. <laughs> when they're ripe. <laughs> After the first frost, when there's sugar spikes. That's the best. Blueberries are but good. But one of the swipes. Or he'd be like, we, one don't, of the swipes. we don't really eat a lot of honey. <laughs> Contrary to popular opinion. <laughs> one of the swipes took me, got me across my abdomen. And my guts are hanging out. A lot of blood. So we're beyond the piano. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> that wasn't that exciting. He sidestepped um, the piano. But no, um, I got this tip because I saw on your Instagram, I forget what kind of meat you had on the grill. But somebody or a couple people remarked how you had your grill grates in upside down. Yeah, and they were right. They were right. Well, I noticed that. And then, like a week or two later, I uh, think that most people in America's grill you're, grates are you're on right. Because check this out: <laughs> we buy my brother-in-law buys a brand new Weber from Ace Hardware. And listen, I love Ace. I'm not bashing Ace. It's like Ace is the place. I believe it. I get such good. <laughs> what do you service. like about Ace? Because I feel like I wa- yeah I walk in there with a freaking random bolt or light bulb or whatever, and I just like hold it in the air, and somebody walks up to me and goes, "Follow me." 
Like every single time. Yeah, yeah. It's I, not I like it. going into a Home Depot or whatever. Oh my God. No, nothing. If I can get it at Ace, I'm going to Ace. Anyways, we he bought a brand new Weber grill. And that day you could get it assembled and delivered. Shows up. And next day I'm out there <laughs> flipping burgers. And I'm like, God, freaking burgers are just like sticking. And like my burgers are like in the grates. Like what in the hell is going on here? I look down like, son of a bitch, those grills are upside down. Those grates are upside down. I think it's an epidemic, man. I'm sure. Because when you look at it, it looks, you think. For some reason, your mind, so like one, this uh, grill happened to have two grates, and uh, they sit side by side. And when you pick one up and look at it, one side sort of has like a triangular shape to the uh, grill bar, I'm going to call it, right? And it sort of comes to a point almost. The other side, if you flip it open, the bottom of that triangle is like the bottom of the triangle and it's flat, right? For yeah. some reason, everybody's brain thinks that the pointy it's side- It's burn lines into it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Where, in fact, when you do that, like in case with these burgers, the burgers sink in between those holes and those pointy edges push too much. And you, and then when you run your spatula underneath that burger, you're not going to get underneath that burger, really. And then you need but, to take the corner of your spatula and scrape it along <laughs> there to get that stuff out. Yes. Or in my case, what I did is I transferred all the burgers over to one side and just flipped those grates and let the, that stuff burn off. And uh, yeah, so when your grates are flat, you can run a spatula and stuff Dude, sears yeah. and you don't have to... Um, be scraping all that stuff off all the time. I'm glad I so, had that. I'm glad I did that post on Instagram. And normally when, like, there's there's people who, like, you on Instagram, you want to share something that, that you like or that you feel whatever. Like, something like, it'll be of interest to people. Um, it'll be, you know, provide entertainment to people. Mm-hmm. And no matter what you do, there's always the, like, critic. Yes. They'll zoom in to find things in the background to say negative things. If there's if it's like if it's not readily apparent what they could say negative, they will like zoom the image until they can find something that they can say negative about what's in the background. Um they'll they'll find some negative thing about it. It'll be like, "Yeah, great job on those burgers. They look perfect, but I see you're wearing flip-flops and that's not very safe." Yes, or I see a plastic water bottle in the background. Um, you know, you say you like conservation, but obviously your whole life's a lie. Cause I zoomed and someone had left, you know, there's like that guy. Normally the noise that those people make in my mind is it makes this noise when I'm reading their comments. It sounds like this, right? It's like that noise. But the dude that noticed the grill was like, Hey man, you know, in a super cool way was like, you know, your grills are upside down. And yep. I was like, I initially wanted to be like, don't you tell me how to set my grill up. But then when I looked, I was like, God damn, he's right. He's right. I have two cents on this, but I don't think it really applies in your situation because of the way that the grates are pointed at one end. Sometimes they're made to be flipped both ways because mm. some ways you, are you get... Compl- are you complexifying, complexifying right now? Sometimes you can get higher over the coals, and if you flip it around, you get low on the coals for hotter heat. So sometimes they're meant to be flipped. Really? Mm-hmm. I like it. But, like, the, but the great, but the great would be the same the way. The height doesn't change on mine. Yeah, the great would be still oh. be the same, right? It would just adjust the height, like the shape of the, the 
surface would still remain the same if it was reversed. If you had a flipper yeah. style, yeah, you would you have You would it. notice that one side would be just barely on top of the coals versus another side would be up, raised up higher. Yeah. I like throwing the uh, cast iron on the grill too, like with, you know, the Traeger where you got a lot of smoke going around. So you get indirect heat, but so you get like the, the pancake griddle flat top cooking, but you get some smoke in there too. Mm. I like that I a like lot. That. Yeah. Danielle, That's just another ever... grill surface for you. I like it. In recent years, like uh, those pink Himalayan salt blocks, seems like it become real sexy to cook on and stuff. Oh, have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever used one or do you have any thoughts on um, it? A long time ago. And every time I see one, I say, I need to buy that. And then I'd look at my cart and say, oh, I have the handheld cart. I don't feel like carrying it. <laughs> you want, You mean like people cooking on salt blocks? Yes. Like yeah, the, those, no, I, I, Like the size of your laptop and like that thick. Yeah, like a, no, like a, buddy finger, mine just mentioned, a buddy of mine just mentioned cooking some stuff on one of those. I have one, and I, I've done, like, white meat and fish on it and stuff, but I don't know that it's, like, that much better. I, I don't know that it would um, go out of my way. A lot of stuff is kind of fun, though. Yes, yeah, it, it looks, adds It salt, looks cool. Yeah. For sure. It looks pretty. Don't, don't over-salt your meat before you put it on mm. there. Oh, yeah, but. because, it, it, like, <laughs> the, the block, like, sweats, kind of, with the meat you're cooking and salt it. So that's neat, but I don't know that it's, like, an advantage. So you if know, you had if you were down under that, that if you're down under that rubble and you're like and PS I've been meaning to try <laughs> I'd say you'd be don't. like PS what do you guys think about Himalayan salt yeah, blocks no. <laughs> I don't think I buy the hype that's what I would say <laughs> if they're like but what about Himalayan salt <laughs> blocks yeah I'd say I don't I don't buy the hype quite yeah. yet but maybe there's the right piece of meat or right recipe that it's like this improves. The end product. It's been a really long time since I've done it. Um, we did some flat rock cooking. I don't want to give an answer. Hot rock cooking. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Remember that, Yanni? No. Did you go to New Zealand with us? Nope. God. It's always hard for me to picture not being with Giannis. I just assumed <laughs> that everything that happened to me, Giannis was there. <laughs> I watched a uh, buddy of mine I was guiding with uh, forget. He forgot a fire pan, right? Which fire pan is an apparatus that works real good as a grill for like uh, wild and scenic river designations. You can't just have a fire wherever you want to have a fire, so you have to have a fire pan. Well, he forgot the fire pan, and then I just sat back and quite honestly did not utter a word as I watched him explain this very intricate story to this family of five on why he was going to grill their steaks on top of river rocks. Uh, the reality is he just forgot the fire pan. No. Oh. Mm. <laughs> but He's like, boy, are you in for a treat? <laughs> yes, it was great. It was really great. We one time were um, hunting mountain goats in Alaska, and you couldn't, for a couple of days, you couldn't hunt at all. It was just too foggy. You couldn't see anything. And we stumbled into a abandoned placer mine um, that had been abandoned long ago. And they were doing like suction dredge mining for gold. And they'd left wetsuit. They'd left all, it was like they walked away from the place. So their wetsuits had been torn apart by bears, like bears like neoprene for some reason. And the wetsuits are just everywhere in little pieces. And we're kind of digging through all the debris and rubble. They probably brought it in, I don't know, in snow machines or something in the winter, flew it in and then left it land. And, uh, 
we found a 20 pound propane tank with a weed burning torch head. And we lugged that back to our camp and we were staying in a little, a teepee tent that didn't have a floor in it. And we would just set that propane tank up aiming at rocks. So we just turned it on full blast because it's just sitting out. No one's going to get it out of the mountains anyways. We just turned on full blast and set a rock in front of it until that rock got hot as shit. And then carry the rock and set it in the middle of the tent. And it'd keep it like radiate some nice heat for a while. And then while, meanwhile, we'd have another one out there. Getting get, ready. Yeah, getting ready and just having like rock heaters. <laughs> and I happened to have my leather chopper mitten so I could carry the rocks back and forth. Apropos of very little. <laughs> <laughs> my wife saved my uh, tomatoes by doing the hot rock trick this year. No. Yeah, because I, I planted tomatoes like mid-June thinking, by golly, that's plenty late enough. And then like five days later, we had like four or five inches at the house. and she of snow. Yeah. And she just took like, a, we had some leftover visqueen from the remodel. So she covered the, you know, already had the cages up. So she just laid that over the cages and then just threw the oven on like 400 and threw a couple of giant rocks in there. And ran the rocks down to the uh, tomatoes, stuck them in there, and it made a little greenhouse. And no good tomatoes are no made it out fine. I don't have any red ones yet, man. But I, I dude, I do not their, have a red tomato. It's killing me because I know be they're they're coming in when I'm not gonna be here. Okay, here's my dying thing. Um, I forgot I had two. <laughs> it was a slow. It was a slow death. One of them was um. One of my dying ones. Oh, I remember the two. Can I give two? No, why not? Yeah, why not? One is if you cut deer steaks, just take a break for a while. I'm not saying they're bad, but just don't cut deer steaks for a while. Cook whole muscle chunks. Cook one, two pound chunks of meat that you that you sear all surfaces and then finish it in your oven or that you just Put it in your grill, give it a good sear, turn the grill down, close the lid, and cook it till it's, you know, 125, 130 with your meat thermometer, and then cut it. Take a break from deer steaks. You get that, Giannis? I like it. As a youngster, we always cut all of our large muscles into steaks. We froze it like that. Everything. You never froze a block of, like a block of meat. You know, if you freeze the block of meat when you thaw it out, you can choose to cut it for steaks then. Then for a long time, instead of writing deer steaks on the packages, me and my brother started writing venison S slash R. People would think it was my initials, Mm. but it was steak roast, meaning chef's choice. Yeah. Stop cutting steaks and cook some whole muscle meat. Then if I still had a little, that was like, it was like one of those things where doctors are like, oh, we're losing them. But then, like, like I, I came back, right? And, and, and then, then I flatlined again. But I'm still kind of hanging in there. Then I would go, uh, never cook a separate meal for your children. Mm. Then I would die. Yeah, that goes beyond wild game. <laughs> That's just life. If they said, yeah, they're like, okay, but what about any last just general life advice? <laughs> And I'd say, unrelated to Wild Game. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, yeah, just whatever. Anything anything helpful for the universe. I would say, don't cook separate meals for your children. 
Stop. Stop doing that. Stop making them like noodles. That goes right into just making life easy <laughs> for your kids. Yeah. Stop do doing that. that. Make it easy because they're you're exposing them to variety. Sure, whatever. Making them eat what you're eating, taking them out into a rainstorm, setting up a tent in the rain, letting them be cold a little bit. I might make those guys stop even having access to the children's menu in restaurants, but that leads to food waste. Oh, yeah. Because the smaller portions are helpful. I don't think you told us what was killing you. Congenitive heart failure. Oh. Mm. Yeah. It's flatline. <laughs> 119. 119. <laughs> it could be coincidence that it's uh, after lunch, but I think feel like this podcast has made me hungry. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Uh, any uh, concluders, Danielle? Wild game? What's in your freezer? What do you got going on? Uh, I have I have some good stuff in there. I have some stuff saved for special occasions, and I have some stuff um, that are just a little weird that I have ideas on. Like a snake? I do have snake. Oh, I, have, I was joking. You got a snake. I have a couple snakes. Um, you know, when we did the, when I was at Rendezvous, I got to be a wild game judge, contest, the contest they did. Yeah, do. yeah, yeah. Did you find it was hard to do? It was difficult because everybody wants to serve you like five different things. Mm-hmm. And I just want to judge you on one thing because I can't remember 20 people cooking five different things. It's like I like two out of your five, and the other three were just average. So now you're just below average. Had you just focused on that one good thing, you would have been... Let, let's write a co-email anyway. co- to whoever runs that <laughs> because I've been saying it for years since Steve and I did it that they need to tighten up the rules a little bit they're, they because they're, they're, the playing field's just rough and rumbly and and people are getting screwed out of, out of that deal. There's what we're talking about is backcountry hunter. When you go to the backcountry hunters and anglers... Annual rendezvous. Mm -hmm. They have a wild game contest where Mm -hmm. different people from different state chapters team up and cook wild game dishes, and they bring in a bunch of judges. Right. Handful of judges. So someone... And they usually pick judges who have, like, the right to have an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd like to think I have the right. No, you do. But it's hard. It's hard. I find that... I I feel that, like, I would would like to tweak out their system for them. But go go on. Yeah. I kind of wanted to, but... I was just happy to be there. So, no complaining. You, you were one of the judges, too. Remember the snake? Was that Arizona? I think that was Arizona, yeah. Yeah. I thought they served a snake, and I thought it was very good. They did. A it was like very a good job. texture of a shrimp. It was succulent, but really? it was like chickeny flavor. Yeah. So, it gave me a lot of ways to spin off cooking with snake. Um, Where have you been getting these snakes? They had jackrabbit, uh, rattlesnake, javelina, and they uh, fried the choya buds too, right? They won the last year that I was a judge. And they won this year too. They crushed it. They it did. Good. They yeah. were. What if it was the good. same crew? Yeah. Was yep. it two women? No. It's, no. Spearheaded by two women? No. I think no. you're thinking Nevada because they did the uh, the uh, bighorn sheep testicles. Oh, that was Nevada. I think so. Yeah, you might be right. I forgot. It was a long time ago. Anyway. That's so, an anti. That's an anti-hunting organization. Did you know that? What? BHA, man. Oh. <laughs> green decoys, bro. Oh yeah. All you green decoys <laughs> out there. Anyway, so yeah, I've got some snake to mess with, and um, I've got some 
balls of boar. Boar balls. Boar balls. That is that what you're saving for the special occasion? That's a special occasion. That's got, a big ball. So I've got a, a game show that I like. Oh shoot! I almost just gave away something. I can't tell you. I'm I already stop know talking. what it is. You what? got people you watch a game show with, and you're gonna sneak them balls. <laughs> I figured that out that fast. Is am I correct or am I wrong? It's called yeah, but I. Dang it! I messed that one up. I can't. Well, I won't serve. I won't serve balls. So heads up, if you're invited over to Danielle's house to watch some kind of game show, whatever you're eating is balls. So be forewarned. No, I was going to do with it? you guys. I was going to do a game show called Name That Game, where I serve a series of small plates, and you have to figure out what animal it is. I like Ooh, it. Not what like cut it is, fun. but what animal. Well, it is. Well, I think there's some that's going to be a little clearer to know what animal. And it would be harder to distinguish the cut in there. It's just vice versa. I think you just get bonus points for one knowing. You get points for knowing the animal and extra for knowing the cut. Yeah. So if I was so like, boar balls, gonna, I get two points. Well, I'm not going to do that one now because I just gave it away. That's a big ball off some pig. I, I've seen some doozies. <clears throat> yeah. How big? Like Golf ball, baseball, Bigger. what are you talking we, about? Fist? Yanni, you know what I'm going to talk about. That time we castrated that boar. You ever had a kolache in Texas? Yeah. That's how big it is. Yeah. A kolache? Yeah, like the round ones, not the hot dog ones. Yeah, it's like the weird rolls that are everywhere. Like a very German thing, too. Yeah. I think they're... Out in the woods? They're like breakfast no. kolaches. Oh, I was like, talking about something like, like out in the woods. Cameras. They're like pastries. Oh, no. I I, maybe yeah. I have. They're really good. I might I might have ate one without catching what the name of it was, but it doesn't. It doesn't yeah, if somebody handed you like a breakfast sandwich at some point, kind it's of an odd breakfast sandwich, like a kolache. round bally dough, and in the middle there's some sort of meat, cheese. Yeah, Yanni something. calls those pierogies. Yeah, in Michigan they call yeah. them. P-do- no, not pierogies. P-doggins. Huh. That's how you say it in Latvian. Pierogi. Uh, <laughs> I have a uh, a substantial amount of carp fillets, boneless Asian carp fillets. And uh, in my... Did you bag seal them? Yeah. It, Did you pick the bones? Yeah, there are, there are no bones in this stuff. Huh. Um, Sil- silvers or big heads? Predominantly silvers. Huh. Um, Good for you. The My experience with this stuff, though, is it is as flavorless. It is beautiful fish. But it's as flavorless as you can possibly get. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking about like doing some like miso stuff or making some buns or you know marinating it in soy sauce and stuff like that. Miso because it needs. Man. I didn't flavor. realize carp was so bland. This, Why is it? Have well, such those a, are different. Well, common carp is not bland. Oh, okay. Common carp is like common carp. This is different. Yeah, has okay. a loud common carp wears a loud hat. <laughs> But a common carp is uh, also an invertebrate eater um, and, and it, it isn't as specialized as like the silver carp and the big head carp. Which are filter feeders. They eat zooplankton from the day they can eat to their last day, which turns out can be like 117 years down the road. So I don't think you properly emphasize, though, like how difficult to clean they are. A northern pike, for example, a lot of people avoid like filleting because they have the set of Y bones. Yeah. Asian carp, like big head and silvers, have three sets of Y bones. Yes. So very, it's really very bony. tough. Like you have to be surgical. 
Would you cut strips around all the Y bones? So the way, yeah. I mean, that's really what what they're doing. Um, The interesting thing and interesting technique is the direction that the bones run. They actually run, they kind of slightly angle from the tail towards the head. Okay. And so when you, you can do a top fillet is what they were calling it, which is basically filleting the meat off the tops of the Y bones. Yeah. Which would be like your dead center along the backbone kind of traditional fillet cut. But what they're doing is they go from the tail towards the head and they're not, you know, getting a lot of depth. It's maybe a quarter inch max on like a big carp. Yeah. Um, But by going from the tail to the head, your knife is actually pushing the bones down. Oh, that's interesting. The direction they want to go. I'm with you. And you get a deeper fillet and no bones. But if you were to try to go from the head to the tail, then you're, you're hitting bones the whole way and you're basically just getting like meat putty off of them. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So you got like your backbone pieces, like your loin strips, and they're like carp strip. And then you have a center fillet, which is that one I just talked about coming off the tips of the bones. And then there's a belly meat piece that's totally boneless. Um, and then some of these guys I was talking to, like they, they don't care about the bones at all. And they're just chopping up that whole filet, throwing the whole thing in the fryer, and you're like eating around the bones. Yeah. So, I've had it like that. Yeah. Man, I went to a place where they were trying to use them to make, this guy was trying to start up this place to make fish oil out of them. Mm. And drank some of that oil out of them. He was trying to like incinerate them, you know, and then you get like an oil from them. Wild. He was trying to find a way that they could sort of get some economic, some byproducts off of them, you know, yeah. in order to encourage harvest. Yeah. Well, that's what the this is a long time uh, ago. state of Tennessee, uh, Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency is actually putting a 10 cent per pound, um, not a bounty, but basically like a state incentive which brings the market price of Asian carp up to, uh, you know, right in the ballpark of catfish. Oh, I got you. Catfish. I got yeah. You. So yeah. They're, they're subsidizing the subsidizing the commercial harvest. Yep. They're even supplying nets to folks that want to get into the catfish gill netting game. The Carp gill netting. Yep. Or sorry, carp gill netting. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild, but... Um, the way it was explained to me when I was looking into this about that netting is when they first came in there, they would have like nine-inch square gill net in order to let all the game fish through. And you could pretty quickly eliminate like certain size classes of fish out of waters. But as that with them being filter feeders, the, the idea that they put forth to me... What we're talking about is like these, these invasive carp species in the Mississippi and Ohio rivers. Uh, what they're saying is that you could eliminate size classes and be pretty strategic or pretty surgical with your mesh size, what size carp you're catching. But even if you removed all of the large fish, so let's say you even drop down to a four inch mesh, right? You'll remove all of the carp that are of a certain size, but the river will still support X pounds of carp. It's just achieving its poundages through different sized fish. So by removing all this higher age class, size class fish, you're still going to have the same number of pounds of filter feeding carp. You're just not going to have any big ones. You just got shitloads of small ones and they're eating the same amount of food. Yeah. And Was it, that explained? Because this is an old idea. I don't know if it's still current. 
I think it is still current, but you know, the way you measure any sort of life in a river is just by biomass. Yeah. And so, so if you're a big trout person, you could go to a river that's got six 80 pound trout, let's say, right? Never happened, but unless you're talking taming or something. Anyway, you could have like six 80 pound trout, or you could have, you know, 800 six pound trout. Yeah. Right. Being that that's what, that's what they were saying. The problem with, with gill netting carp is. Yeah. You're not going to reduce the poundage of carp that are in the river eating plankton. You're just going to change the size structure. And what they need is like uh, other fish in that game fish category to have like booming population years that could outbalance that biomass equation, yeah. which just pretty much isn't going to happen because the, the carp are so good at reproducing. And, you know, a huge carp is going to create a hell of a lot more eggs than a tiny oh, carp Oh, yeah, will. I got you. Maybe over the long term, you can wind up driving down the biomass. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the issue with specifically these filter feeding carp is they eat the same thing as they do uh, when they're 90 as they do when they're uh, juvenile fish, um, which is zooplankton. And your game fish species, when they're a juvenile fish, that's what they start out eating is yeah. zooplankton. Then they, they move on to, you know, other uh, foods. But the issue is, right, you could have tens of thousands of 90-pound filter feeders that are eating the same thing as, you know, your one-inch fingerling bass or pike or whatever walleye crappie. Um, so they're going to out-compete those tiny, tiny fish. Yeah. yeah. That's the fear. Yeah. Well, not even the fear. I think it's demonstrated now. You're yeah. seeing a decrease in game fish in some of those areas. Isn't that true? Um, or is that not true yet? Man, according to the data, it's not true yet. Um, like not seeing the repercussions in the game fish. But what they're seeing is they're seeing a reduction in game fish that anglers are bringing in. Um, and a lot of it is just trying to figure out how to fish around the carp. So like one of the guys that we went out with, he's a big time crappie guy. He was very frustrated with the fishery. Um, there's carp everywhere. Um, and your, you know, traditional ways of fishing for the crappie would be to get like right on top of structure mm -hmm. and fish down to it. But what he found out that you were doing, cause this guy was really into the side scan sonar and could really see what was happening is he'd go over the top of structure. There'd be a bunch of carp above the structure. The carp would freak out and bail. And then he'd get like maybe a crappie off of the structure. But if he sat 30 yards back and cast to the structure, making longer casts for a crappie guy, um, the carp would remain there on top of the structure. His little tiny crappie bait would fall through the carp, and he'd be able to pick off, you know, half a dozen crappie off of that chunk of structure. Gotcha. Because they had, They weren't blown out when the carp blew out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, or feeling the disturbance in the force, if you will. Yeah, and no, I'm with you. Yeah. Interesting. Spence, you got any concluders? Uh, just like piggybacking off of what Danielle and, and Cal said, it was just like, try stuff for yourself. I can't tell you how many times when I was a kid that I had in my head because someone said it that like a rutting buck tastes bad or antelope is gross. Uh, just stuff like that. 
and, and you need to just try it for yourself. Like Danielle cooked a turkey sponge, right? That's really strange, yeah. but it was good. I hadn't heard of anybody cooking it before, but knowing what it was made me wonder why do we throw it away? And I, I'm willing to eat something that could be horribly, horribly terrible just to know for myself that it's bad instead of just hearsay of, ah, throw the yeah. sponge away. It's worthless. Yeah. And recently in the office, we, we've cooked things as extreme as like crow and badger and it tasted like red meat or it tasted like dark meat from a game bird. So just don't like let those misconceptions kind of muddy your view of of different wild game. Yeah. I mean, my whole life people were like, oh, you know, panda bear burger isn't great, you know. (laughs) Really slowed you down. I know. And you like get that in your head. Then later you realize. Yanni? Should have been hunting these things my whole life. You realize you could have got a really pretty jacket (laughs) and a great burger. Uh. A lot of what we cover here, you can go find out about at themeateater.com. Tons of information there, food stuff, Danielle's writing, Spencer's writing, all kinds of stuff. We'll touch on greater detail there. Um, what else? Plug away. Follow me on Instagram, Stephen Ranella, at Stephen Ranella. And then you can look and find stuff and be like, your grill grates. <laughs> <laughs> No protective eyewear. (laughs) Yep. You're splitting wood in your bare feet again. All right. Thank you. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to decked.com slash meat eater. Get yourself some free shipping.